All right, welcome back to episode 81. We're going to call this one Quads and Falcons, or as an alternate, Quads. What is it good for? Um, I'm here with my good friend, uh, Brian Phillips, and we're going to talk about some things that we've been up to. Um, He's got a history segment that he had all geared up for today. Um, We were going to meet up with Joe, but Joe got called out on work at the last minute, so we're going to see how this goes with the two of us, and I hope you guys appreciate it and enjoy it. Um, but he's going to talk about what the, the Fighting Falcons, right? Yes, the F-16 Fighting Falcons. Fantastic. So welcome, Brian, back uh, to the podcast. I appreciate you putting together the history segment and uh, appreciate you being willing to talk about what we've been kind of both doing in the last couple of weeks, just sort of working on our quad skills. And we're not talking about uh, four-wheelers like uh, <laughs> like off-roading, but we're talking about uh, quadcopters, so. We'll give that a little bit of talk. Um, but I think, as we always do, uh, I want to want to thank everybody who's uh, tuned in and listened over the last, uh, was 80 episodes. Holy cow, I can't believe it's been 80 episodes. Um, That's a lot of episodes. Just really appreciate it, and I would hope you continue to enjoy. Um, why don't we just, uh, we usually talk about what we've been up to. Brian, last time we talked to you was like a little bit before Flight Fest, I think, wasn't it? It sure was. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you don't have to cover the whole ground, but uh, by all means, give us some highlights and I'll, I'll talk about what I've been up to in the last couple of weeks. For sure. You, you sure. want to start us off? I can do that. So, um, I think, uh, a couple of, uh, the planes that, uh, I have that we had talked about a bit in the, in the previous one was, uh, the first one was the Sea Duck a l'orange. A l'orange. Uh, the a l'orange. <laughs> I love um, it. So, so that one was getting a bit tired. So my son and I decided that we were going to um, uh, give it a warrior's death in combat nice. uh, at, at Flight Fest. So um, I gave my son the honor of, uh, of doing that. And so I believe it was uh, Friday evening combat. Um, he went All out right. there and uh, he flew valiantly. Um, but unfortunately, the CETA got split in half. Um, <laughs> there's a... There's a little bit of video of it on my YouTube, uh, YouTube, yeah. my small YouTube channel. If anybody well, I'm wants gonna, to check it out. Yeah, I'm gonna put a link to it. Um, but it was uh, it was a good death for the Sea Duck. Um, so, uh, in the next morning, I promptly went and bought a new Sea uh, Duck speed build kit uh, yep. from the from the flight test store while we were still there at, at Flight Fest. Right. Um, we uh, I, I did build it uh, after we got home. I did build uh, build a new one. Um, the, it's a little bit beefed up this time. I put larger than recommended motors in it. Yeah. I was going to say, how, how did you, yeah. How did you beef it up? How did you strengthen it from last time? Ah, uh, right? so Cause um, there's, there's a lot of people who really love the sea duck. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm one of them, right? I, I just, no matter, no matter how many planes I get and right. no matter what I fly, I just always adore the sea duck platform. It's just, it, just such a fun aircraft. Is is that originally what is a Conwing L? 30 L16 I I believe in the cartoon they called it the Conwing L19 but L19. I, I my memory is terrible but that, that man that, that's pretty that's, good it, it sounds about right no it's not the L, L uh 19 L26 maybe no it's L16 man I had 16. it good ah oh, dang it was good oh, you're good yeah Very look good. some days I got it there's the rest of the time that I don't like we'll talk about that in a little bit Remember. but <laughs> Oh, anyway, no. Uh, so yeah, in the cartoon of uh, what was it, uh, Tailspin, Tailspin. Um, which was kind of a spinoff of the Jungle Book kind of feel, and it was basically it was... a bun- bunch of people uh, doing a bunch of air. Who was it? Air cargo. 
air cargo. It was it was and, uh and the a dangers, very weird thing. Yeah, yeah, dangers and excitement of such. And of course everybody was kind of a a bear or some sort of animal animalistic thing. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. It it was part of my childhood, obviously, Brian. It was part of yours. And if you haven't seen it, I know my kids have seen it because I, I said you should watch this and they started Mine watching too. it. Like, this is really good. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> yeah. to my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> mine too. Mine mine loved it too. They had a blast yeah. watching it. Yeah, um, I think it was originally part. They made it a uh, part of um, the U.S. Coast Guard. This really beautiful scheme that they do with that. But yeah, anyway. So, it, I guess my point is, it struck um, because it's a lot of people. Uh, a lot of their childhood memories kind of come from watching that show for the couple of years that it was on. Um, and so that when they when they made that a plane to build and fly, and it flies amazing. It's like wow, this flies really good. Um, everybody's like, oh. You got you oh, got to yeah. build one, yeah. And oh, so yeah. it's 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 a favorite on a lot of people's list. So I guess my point is, so what did you do to strengthen it for like, okay, built it the one time, it was good. It did this thing. These are the issues I had. Now I'm making a new one. What do I do, right, to make it? Yeah. Better? So the so the original one that I had was just a was a basic um, basic flight test CDA, um, and uh, with a twin twin CPAC setup, uh, which is a twenty twenty two fourteen. Okay. Something like that. I think it's 2214. Uh, anyway, um, same thing everybody else runs from the, from the flight test stuff. Um, the, that C duck got a whole lot of abuse, uh, over the time it, uh, it got crashed several times and repaired. Uh, I think I went through two center fuselage fuselages on it. Um, it was, uh, it was very much abused and that's the reason why we retired it because it was getting soft. The, the, the um, the booms out to the tail were uh, were were starting to flex a bit, and uh, was losing elevator authority and all kinds of stuff. So um, when I put this one together, um, the first thing I did is um, I really beefed up the main wings bar. Sorry, uh, I <laughs> I, re I really beefed up the main wings bar. Um, put a very a large carbon tube in there. Um, okay, uh, what size? Laid it in. Um, I, I I grabbed it off of my stack. It was okay, it was okay. what what I don't I don't remember exactly what size size it was, but it was uh, just large enough to just nestle inside the uh, the foam okay. spar. That, okay, so uh, probably like twelve millimeter or something long. like that. Um, okay. actually, I think it's smaller than that. I think it's more like okay. ten. Okay. Um, way overkill. Way 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 yeah, overkill. Yeah, honestly, you can get away with an aeroshaft and kind of nestle it in there with pieces e of foam so easily it stays put. You can and you can even get away with some paint sticks sticking across mm -hmm. there, a yardstick or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did that, um, and as I was making the tail booms, I laid in some uh, some carbon rods that are uh, probably three millimeter carbon rods, um, focusing on the the top skin and the lower skin, uh, okay. just to give just to give it some bending strength. Um, the uh, the other thing I did was um, I went with larger motors. Um, the uh i went with the okay. it's flight flight tests xl size which is their 22 oh, 22 or 28 14s yeah yeah uh, yeah those, so, and those spin what are they are they are you still putting like a 10 inch or 11 inch prop but but a little bit more aggressive or are you i went with sizing it up? um yeah i actually went down uh i went with a nine i think it's a nine by five by three so um, in the, in the original show, it was a three blade prop. I really wanted yeah. a three blade prop on it, even it's, though I know it's, it's not that great. What? Um, <laughs> don't blasphemy. Don't say such things. <laughs> if efficiency compared to, compared to a two blade. 
uh, you lose a little efficiency on that third blade. Um, and I wanted a little more uh, pitch on it because I wanted some. I wanted more static thrust. Um, okay. One of the things I like to do is drop drop stuff out of the back of this the Cedar. Um On the original, on my original one, I had built a drawer system for dropping paratroopers. It was um, a, basically an upside down drawer with a parachute. You open the door on the back, parachute pulls the drawer out, and all the paratroopers fall out of the drawer. Um, okay. So I replicated that and I maximized it to to fit in the space, which I over maybe over maximized it a little bit. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and the other thing I did is I put on the on the nose the deck of the nose I put a mount for um, a permanent mount for a uh, camera for a, an, an Insta three sixty X X three in this case. So so. Um, cause I really wanted to, you know, get some cool footage with it. You mean you didn't, you didn't make like a mini cockpit and then kind of put it in the back <sighs> of the cockpit and make, I mean, stick it inside. I should have. When I, when I saw the way that's put together, I'm like, this needs a cockpit. This needs a cockpit and a little camera just behind Baloo's seat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like as if you were Kit looking over his shoulder out the front, you know? Just saying. Yeah, you can <laughs> you pan the camera around. Yep. So yeah, and have a, around. have a pan left and right on that. So as as it was, it ended up with the uh, if you look at a sea at a sea duck, it was right on the peak of the the uh, is a three D printed mount with a with a, a, a camera thread uh, quarter quarter twenty yeah. Uh, post yeah um, and it sits right it would sit right on the deck right in front of the basically the front windows of the mm-hmm. that's a perfect spot for it and um, it feels like you're in the cockpit flying yeah it it made it really tough to balance the CG. Uh, <laughs> really but, but, but yeah but i got there i had to add some weight to the tail to get it there um but it, okay um, it worked out um yeah yeah i suppose see for me i kind of had to push the batteries pretty much into the the nose cone pretty far to be able to have that balance so to me adding a camera wasn't you just move the battery back but i guess if you're trying to keep a a cargo bay empty um it's, yeah, i guess it makes it difficult it's a heavy. It was a heavy camera, and it was pretty far out front. Um, you, so you know what I didn't even. That has such a large capacity. I can only imagine, like with the motors you have on it, the amount of battery you can put on that thing would probably make it a really good. I don't know about good, but it'd be a really good long range platform. Uh, abs- I absolutely agree. Uh, the um the original my original version um i would regularly fly it with a, a 4000 four cell okay um, and it, easy. it it didn't even didn't even bat an eye like it was nothing and usually i'd usually land after you know 10 15 minutes and still right. have 3.85 and all the all the cells yeah i believe it um so cool. yeah so so, so the, i went with duck orange lives again or is it are we going to call it something different uh, it, it, it has to be stuck a little. I, okay. I, the original, a uh, long time ago, the original plan was, okay, the next one will be proper tailspin colors and everything. And, but yeah. duck orange is kind of taken on a life of, life of its own. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So the, so, um, so I did all this beefing up, um, got the camera mounted on it. I made a little, um, a little spring loaded latch, uh, catch for the, the hatch on top instead of having, you know, tape hanging off of it. And, um, and it, it came out really nice. Uh, first okay. flight, first flight was absolutely beautiful. It had, uh, 
more. I mean, I was t- I was easily taken off with like quarter throttle. It was it had more power than it knew what to do with, which is exactly what I was going for. Um, <laughs> Isn't that what everybody ab- wants? Absolute you know? blast! And I've got a gr- I've got a fantastic video of that first flight because I had the camera mounted on the nose. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, so then I brought it back in and decided to test out the uh, the paratrooper drop mechanism. And uh, it um, apparently I pushed it in a little too far because when I went oh. to drop it, the parachute kicked out the back of the plane, but the drawer stayed wedged up in the front <laughs> in the nose. Right. And the parachute yeah. hanging out down below the elevator on the on the sea duck pitches the nose down. And uh, just did not have enough altitude or time um, oh, no. to to recover to... it. Uh, so it went nose in hard, very oh, hard. Man, no. Uh, yeah, destroyed the the center fuselage. Uh, one of the one of the motors completely separated the bell. The motor bell just popped right out. It ripped the uh, oh right the yeah off of that. Yeah, yeah, you and I. You and I were talking about it the other day when I was <laughs> putting it back together. I, I wasn't uh, piecing together that that was probably that was from the plane. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so, um, so that was really disappointing. But I had the yeah. I had the 360 camera mounted to the nose, and um, the the video I got from it was absolutely hilarious. Um, by the way, sea ducks do bounce when they hit the ground. <laughs> I, I can I can confirm that with evidence. Ask how um, he knows. Yeah, so uh, I'm still learning how to edit 360 video, uh, and I haven't okay, had much yeah. time to apply to it. Um, but once I do, that that video will be available to to watch as well. Um, it's uh, it's pretty funny. Okay, it's pretty it's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it's all smashed up. So um, as far as what I've been up to in the hobby lately, uh, the last I finally got some time to sit down with it, and I've been working on repairing it. Um, I've got a a new lower fuselage made um wasn't happy with the the upper fuselage that i made so i'm going to redo that okay. um uh, part of it's because i'm putting i'm moving the camera mount instead of on the deck i'm moving it to the top of the fuselage right at the wing spar just to make balancing uh a little easier no matter what i have in the plane okay. um yeah so it's mostly repaired other than that that top deck and and getting the uh Getting the camera mount mounted to the to the upper deck and then gluing the gluing the fuselage together and then seeing if it still works. So nice. it'll okay. it will it will fly again. That's uh, yeah. It uh, if you if the wing and tail booms and basically the rear half of the plane more or less survived, which it sounds like it sort of did at expense. <laughs> I, it's it, and it's that's all fixed and i actually added yeah. some ad- additional um additional car- uh, carbon fiber strip to to brace the uh the tail where it, where it cracked okay so, so um yeah, but yeah so that's it. it's a good flyer it's pretty forgiving so i, I think you'll be i just i love it and my my kids do too it just every it gets chuckles every time especially so, in the orange paint right <laughs> have you flown it off of a puddle no no, I uh, cause, because I use the door, the rear door. Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, I haven't tried to fly it off of water, because it it would the water would just come in under the door in the back. I'd have no, to seal I, that rear rear door for it to. I'm just. I've flown it off a of wet. I've flown it off a of wet grass. <laughs> right. So how? I'm trying to think. So you have a, you have the interior box sits, and it gets pushed out right, and that's what 
and then it basically drums out whatever's in the box, right? Yeah, it's it's literally <clears throat> an upside down drawer. So you flip the plane over, mm-hmm. you pull the drawer out, you load it full of your little parachute guys from Amazon, right? And um, and Push then back you in. you just slide the drawer back in. The floor of the the, the plane holds everything in. Uh, then you flip the plane back over, you tuck the parachute up next to the box, and then you close the door on the parachute to hold it in. Hmm. And so when you when you uh, open the door with the servo, the parachute drops out, catches the slipstream, and it yeah, pulls, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. pulls no, the drawer. Makes, right. Makes yep. some sense. I'm just, I'm mentally trying to figure out, like, how, how could you make that waterproof enough? Because, again, you don't need, you don't need a whole lot of depth. I mean, you really only need like an inch of for it to sit in the water, right? <laughs> right, right, um, right. You know, it's not like it's trying to fill up the whole darn cabin. But you yeah. could ra- you could raise up that you could raise up the the lower deck and then just make the drawer thinner. But there's there's yeah. not a whole lot of there's it's not enough not worth it. There, there's a lot more of the battery. Yeah, yeah. There's the a lot more joy, yeah, uh, joy out of dumping people out of the back than there is uh, running yeah. off the water. So and and the places I fly regularly, we don't really have. <laughs> I don't really have much opportunity for flying off of water, so it's not okay. not not too big of a deal. Uh, our field has some pretty long ruts. Um, <laughs> I, on I, the know, drive in. I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I ended up building the Sea Angel, and uh-huh. I was like, I don't have any water to fly it off. I'm like, I know our field way way out out the way has um, there's a it's an old quarry, uh-huh. so it has like a pond which is super deep, but it's they're like, look, if it, if it sinks, don't go, don't go get it. Like you're never going to get it. But like, if you want to fly off of that, you're welcome to go try it. Um, but I'm like, and I looked around the, the one day it rained and I'm like, you know, our field gets wet like crazy and I only need a couple inches. And I literally needed about a half an inch to be able to fly that off of the water. So nice. I ended up actually flying off the water. Amazing. And I landed it in the water barely, but um it it was awful to take off the ground but it was most of my landings (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know just Um, barely (laughs) just barely (laughs) Um, okay so you so you rebuilt the duck on orange uh now twice yeah Um, yeah almost twice i'm at about almost there almost there one and a half times right now uh what what else have you been up to because you've been up to more than just uh the the sea duck because the sea duck is pretty awesome yeah, so so I've got another I got another sad story with with a flight test uh, design, um, semi semi sad story with some, <laughs> I some redemption. I, I think I know where it's coming. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, so I, I brought to flight test a, a, a master series Hornet, Super Hornet, one of John John Overstreet's designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blue Angels livery. The intent was to fly with all the uh, with the Blue Angels crew that uh, that was flying at flight fest, which was really yeah. impressive. There's a ton of videos out there. Uh, find yeah. some. It was really cool. There was nine of these big six foot hornets um, yeah. flying in, you know, pseudo formation as best people can do line of sight. And um, it was really impressive. Uh, so, but I hadn't, hadn't had an opportunity to maiden mine yet um, before flight pass. I just finished it and hadn't been able to get out to our local field. Um, and uh, I had um, an issue with the vertical stabilizer. Well, let me back up. Uh, Thursday morning, first bright and early, flight fest just started. Uh, the first session out, guys are gonna try to do it. I told everybody to go ahead and put theirs up, and then I'm gonna put mine up last because it's the first first try. Mm-hmm. Um, so I throw mine up. It takes off great. It's got plenty of thrust for as light as the jet is. It's uh, and David uh, David Jester actually was kind enough to launch it for me, which was nice. which was pretty cool. Um, 
but uh as i as i made the second turn as i'm coming around um i realized that i had not braced one of the vertical stabs enough for both of them and uh it one of them cocked to the side and it kicked the rudder it kind of locked the rudder hard over in one direction and i kind of rolled over and it spiraled in uh <laughs> without without control and just obliterated the nose uh of the jet, yeah which was which was unfortunate yeah, um, it was really a bummer to hear. Like, I'm sitting there, and I think it was the Bloody Baron build tent had just started, and I was kind of like looking at, oh, look, they're starting the the thing, and then I see you with rolling up with yours, walking back. I'm like, what? No. I'm like, yeah, it's all <laughs> yeah, the nose is all smashed in. Um, I I ran into uh on my way, I was carrying it back to our we were camping, so I had a RV. Um, uh, I was carrying it back uh to the RV, and I. Um, walk past John Overstreet, and uh, the first thing he said to me, he's like, "That's that's a bummer, but reach out to me. I'll give you the I'll give you all the plans for the nose pieces, and you can cut you know cut them out and, and fix them." Um, mm-hmm. uh, really impressed with John. John's just such a great guy. I, I was, every time I've had a chance to chat with him, he's uh, he's a good dude, and he's got some pretty good, pretty solid jet designs too. I, I like yeah, him. yeah, they seem they seem to be. I haven't had an opportunity to build any of his yet. They're they're not e- two. They're not easy. I will no. I will definitely say that they're not easy, but they're <laughs> but they're but they're very good. Okay. Um, unlike anything, you know, you can always come up with your own improvements and your own preferences and stuff. Um, but uh, so John John emailed me the the uh, the files for the nose, and uh, I as soon as I got home, I repaired it, got out and got some flights in with it. Um, and it's quickly becoming a favorite. Uh, in my in my little fleet um mm-hmm. it just flies so great um for it's it, it's huge it's you know it's almost six six feet long um it's almost too big for my local field um yeah. but uh and, and how it's, much it's how much space do you have at your local field if you don't mind me asking uh like we we've got an 800 uh, foot runway by whatever and then it's like surrounded by 40 acres of of whatever it's growing you know i i don't know I'll be honest with you. I don't know the numbers. Um, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to check. It's, uh, relatively small. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, that, that's not a big, yeah. I just was wondering kind of yeah. roughly, are you looking at like 10 acres, five yeah. acres? I mean, you don't need much more than a I, couple baseball fields to, I, to have a good time. So if I had to guess, I'd guess around eight, but right. But I can, okay. I can find out. Yeah, it's plenty. Um, but it, yeah, the, so the Hornet flew beautifully. Uh, that's another one. I've got some, I got some really cool video on that one. I mounted a camera on the back of it. And, um, got some, got some great video of it. And I'm trying to put some fun stuff like that on my YouTube, my, my little tiny YouTube channel. Um, so that's, that's there as well. A couple of flights with the Hornet. Um, and then, uh, and then following that and it, and it will link into it. Um, Lee from Windcatcher RC. Lee is local here to to where I'm mm-hmm. at. That's how we're we're friends through our local club. Yeah, and um, uh, he's been very happy with how Windcatcher's been doing, and um, cool. he wanted to kind of give back to our local club because it's the club has really supported Windcatcher. So he uh took our we we have like a monthly open house, and usually like 20 people show up, and um, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. We have a blast, but. Um, it's usually pretty small and intimate. So yeah. Lee, Lee wanted to throw kind of a blowout and, okay. uh, we had, um, we had several hundred people show up, Whoa. um, this time Lee had a DJ, 
uh, catered food in. He he got uh, local businesses and a bunch of other and and some other uh, RC companies to to donate raffle uh, raffle prizes. So he had a big raffle, mm-hmm. um, and we had a lot of a lot of the local flo- folks show up with uh, different aircraft to demo. We had some large Healy uh, demos. Um, one of our one of the guys are the president of our club. His name's Steve. Um, Steve did a demo with a uh, I think it's a 650 size uh, Healy. Um, doing okay. some some 3D stuff, which was incredibly impressive. Another another from another club, a local guy brought in a couple of uh, other uh, really beautiful scale helicopters, uh, a couple of MD500s, and then another one that I'm drawing a blank on what the name of it was, but yeah. absolutely absolutely gorgeous. We had a uh, another local guy brought a a, um, a very large scale. Um, it was a uh, Pilatus. Uh, with okay, a, yeah, I've I've heard uh, of that. An actual, but it was an actual turbine Pilatus, which was really mm-hmm. cool to see at oh, see yeah. at our field. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool to see at our field. Um, nice. and then uh, and then I got I got to do a demo with the Hornet. A demo um, with the Hornet, hot stuff. Yeah, a you couple. Miss... We're gonna call you Brian Demo Phillips. Yeah, yeah. Couple, yeah, because I because I break man. stuff. Because I break stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. So cool. How'd that go? So did uh, somebody come up and how did that work out? Like somebody run up and say, "Hey, man, would you?" You, the Hornet looks great. Uh, why don't you why don't you show it off? Uh, well, see what you can do with it. Um, so uh, I've been part of the planning and all that stuff like that with Lee and some of the other guys in our club um, from from the beginning. And you mm-hmm. know, we're looking for for guys to do you know people to do demo demo flights and stuff like that to just you know kind of keep keep everybody excited a little bit. And uh, and I said, hey, I've got this Hornet. I'm you know I'm okay. I'm not the best pilot in the world but the but the jet looks really impressive so uh so i i offered it up and uh and they they said yeah that would be really cool and uh i think honestly what i think sold it and what kept kept everybody ten as it kept everyone's attention was uh the dj decided to put on danger zone uh highway to the danger zone while i was flying (laughs) so i had a little little top gun accompaniment and uh, yeah sweet and it was uh it was really cool uh it was really 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 fun uh and speaking of that that whole day we had an absolute blast there's families there all day long um we had uh with the raffles um i picked up a whole bunch of raffle tickets and and put my i let my boys put them into the different bags and stuff for the different prizes and yeah cool um we got some cool stuff i got um ra ra cores had had donated a um uh, a little 3d uh profile plane okay um it's uh their yak 55 and so i ended up with that one which was oh, pretty neat. cool yeah yeah um wind catcher went and bought a uh, they bought a bunch of horizon planes uh okay. horizon hobby yeah uh, you know nice like a, you know it's the expensive stuff yeah it's, uh, it's not, and, not the cheapest, and gave those and uh ga- and gave those out and uh um through through the raffle it was really really pretty cool some flight test yeah. donated a few uh speed build kits nice um and uh we by the time i realized what my kids had done with all the raffle tickets i uh <laughs> I, I i started i started giving out giving out some of the stuff that we were winning so we got uh we ended up with one of the rv12 um speed oh, nice. kits, one of their new ones yeah i gotta um, build it hey when when you start building yours let me know and then we can build it sort so of together. I, uh, that that would be a great idea. I already had one, and so the one we won at the raffle, 
um, there's a there's a young man that comes to our field uh, with his grandfather, uh, and they they've really gotten into it, and they've they've been enjoying building stuff together. And uh, so we, nice. my 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 oldest uh, Wesley, who you've met, um, yeah, Wesley said, "Let's let's give Hi, it to Corey." Uh, <laughs> uh, Wesley Wesley said, "Let's give it to Corey." So we we gave okay. it to uh, we gave it to this young man um and uh really cool. with with uh his promise that he builds it with his grandpa and uh they come uh, back out to the field with it so yeah that's awesome that's exactly what those events are about i'm so glad you guys were able to pull off like this really and big thanks you know my hat's off to lee um uh, putting put his uh, stick in the fire as it were and and making that burn bright because that that's awesome that sounds like you guys really got a lot of great exposure um, as well as doing exactly what you want. I mean, you want to get the families out there. You want to get people multi-generational. It's like, I remember doing this. This was awesome. Hey, you know, this is my young kid, like my grandson, my, my kid, my, my son, whatever, or, or uh, daughter or granddaughter or whatever. Like, it's just, you know, getting them back and interested in it to know like, oh, yeah, that's right. This was fun. And, and for the public who doesn't know about it, because most of the fields are out in the middle of nowhere. Like, really, they're just stuck in a corner of the, the township. You know, <laughs> like, don't go there. You know, like, those crazy people are out there flying planes. Don't don't go near. Right. Like, no, it's like, no, come out. Like, this is fun. This is we need to have more people enjoy this hobby. It's um, it's harder than it looks. And it's a lot more fun. And it's absolutely worth it. Uh, worth it. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm really, pr I'm proud of you guys for pulling off such a really cool event. It sounds like you got a lot of great turnout. We did, we did, and I can, and I really can't say enough uh, nice things about Lee and Windcatcher RC. Yeah. Um, Lee's a stand-up guy. Yeah, I mean the, the the stuff he went through to put to to get that all out there, it was just absolutely fantastic for our club. Um, and uh, you know, I, I consider him a, a friend. He is he is by far. Uh, one of the nicest and most genuine people that I've ever met. So yeah, well, um, he's. I, 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 I'm going to bully him out of my way to help him. <laughs> I think I'm going to bully him to get on a podcast and talk to us a little bit. Um, he's, no, he he's he's doing the kind of thing that I think um, we need more of in the hobby, and I think there there's a lot of it, but um, I don't think it always gets highlighted. And I think um, I want to have him kind of come on and and talk about some of the things that he supports, just just because he's like I do this thing, I built this this thing it does well um you know what whatever his business that that makes all the money you know mm -hmm. like okay this part does stuff for industry and i make money doing it but like my passion is to support this hobby because the hobby is kind of the reason why i started doing all this and i, I want to support it and make it crazy so he's always kind of in a hand like oh i'm helping this guy do this ridiculous project and he helped us out in part you guys uh you and he uh, helped us out with the big giant wonders and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, I, it, it was if, awesome. If you can get him, I'll be really impressed. If you can get him to come on. He absolutely uh, loves helping and he yeah. loves being in the background. Yeah, um, I know he does. He doesn't, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be out I, in front usually. So that's okay. Uh, I, but, I, but, last time we talked, uh, it was not a no way. It was a, yeah, no, that wouldn't be actually probably a bad idea. Maybe Maybe we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the conversation started with, no, 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 no. That's okay. You, you guys go ahead and have fun. No. You no. know. <laughs> so, but yeah, so what, what else have you been up to? Uh, anything else uh, in, the last, in the last couple of weeks? I mean, it well, sounds like th those will take up most of your time right there. I, 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 have, to, I have to be kind of a, kind of, I can't really 
say too much about it. Um, uh, Lee, I, I, with Lee, I've been work. We, he and I have been working on some stuff in the background that's uh, hopefully going to come to fruition between now and Flight Fest. Yeah. Um, not, I, I don't want to say too much about it, which kind of sucks for people listening at the it's moment. Okay. But no, no, uh, you're working but on if a it works out, project. If it works out, it's kind of a three-stage project right now. If it works out, um, uh, it's going to be some pretty cool stuff for. Uh, to, it's going to be cool to see, and um, and there potentially could be uh, kits available of, of some. Okay, kit. yeah, so. that's a, that's awesome. I'm excited to hear that. I yeah. I've heard hints and bibbles and bobbles of it, um, so I'm eager to see what ends up coming of it. Um, just like I'm almost as eager to talk, you know, about what we've been talking about on the forums about what we might be trying to pull off for Flight Fest next year. I don't know entirely what it's going to be because we're still rolling through ideas, which are abound, reckless, and um, they certainly have my creative uh, thought processes rolling fast. <laughs> I, I, the one thing I will say is I am a huge Blue Angels fan. As anybody who's seen my my Hornet or my my mm-hmm. Ben Harbor Skyhawk, A4 Skyhawk uh, knows, um, and uh, but there is a uh, there is a piece of Blues history, Blue Angels history that nice. that does does not get does not get enough love in my opinion. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can do. Oh no no, I I think I know what you're talking about exactly, and I'm looking <laughs> forward to. That's right, I remember we talked some about it. So we I'm did. excited to see what comes of it because I think it'll be fun at very least having a, a bunch of those kits rolling rolling around because they they seem like they're going to be one of those things that you just pick up put together in about you know 30 minutes total. Hopefully, go, yeah, go That's, have fun with right. At least like, at least at least one of the options is yeah. it should be something fun and quick. Yeah, matter of fact, but, I, I, what you're talking about, I saw at the last air show. I got to did, see it kind of oh, do its thing. Yeah, fantastic. I, yeah, I it was pretty cool. I love. It. Um, so yeah, if you were paying attention to what I talked about when I went to the air show, <laughs> you might have a hint of what Brian might be doing. All right, that's uh, enough of my podcast boy. All right, that's, that's the, what I and the the <laughs> la the last thing, and I think we'll come back around to it, so I won't say much. Okay, but. Uh, uh, the last thing um, I've got, a, I've got a handful of quads, just like a, so many other people in the hobby do. Uh, right. And if quads aren't your primary focus, um, it uh, they can be really daunting. Um, a lot of crashes, a lot of broken parts, stuff like that. And I've been. I was gonna say which part of it, because um, you know, I mean, how how are you tackling the quad thing? Are you building it from a kit? Are you buying a ready ready built, but with parts? understanding that i'm gonna have to replace a lot i've um, i've done i've done a little bit of both to be honest i've done i've done both um and i've got uh, i've got kind of they're all relatively small i've got i've got a tiny wolf i've got uh a little one a little bit bigger it's a a, a gremlin size uh like a flight test gremlin and then is it a is it a gremlin or it is a guardian gremlin okay Flight test guardian gremlin, okay, um, and then I've got um, uh, I've got a flywoo. Yep. Uh, which which one do you have? It's a flywoo explorer. Okay. Uh, it's more of a cruiser. It's like a long range cruiser rather than you know doing anything super crazy with it. Is that the is one that's like seven inch speed? Props. No, 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 no. It's nowhere near that big. It's um, okay. I think. I mean, the props are only like three. I think they're three inch props. Okay. No, that's fine. Yeah, I, I asked because I ended up buying uh, 
one that's the long range seven inch deal where you basically you know put a one of those uh lithium ion battery four packs four cell packs and just run it at like 20 percent yeah you know and just go and and it's, so, that's the reason why i uh installed the alrs in the first place a couple weeks ago because these are, i want to get the 900 megahertz running so i could run the long range and just run it really far yeah mostly because i i want to and then that's what we'll talk about is i yeah. want to use that quad to be able to find i'm going to put a, a switcher and have a camera that points directly down so that okay. I can literally run back and forth across the field and just find my damn plane when I lose it yeah. or wherever it is. Oh yeah. You know, like that's one of the missions that you have a quad for. Right. So anyway, um, so you have a, the little Explorer, the flywheel Explorer. Yeah. It's, it's a four inch now that I, now that I look at it again, okay. uh, it's, it's a four inch and it's the same idea. It's just the small one that this one is just barely sub two fifty. 250 okay. grams oh it is sub 250 okay it is sub even with even with a secondary camera on it i have mine set up for a run cam thumb uh, okay to, to run on there but even now, with that well what you know you've got the that's the one you just put on the duck a la range, right the thumb what no do you think that's of like, uh the insta 360, insta 360 uh, x3 that's the the it's got lenses on both sides um for for a 360 view these are the the run cam thumb is just a little teeny guy. Okay. Uh, it's got yeah. no no battery in it. Right. So you you, you got to you got to hook it up to the the quad power supply or or make a power supply for a fixed wing. I almost bought that like three different times over the last week. Um, what do you what do you take of it compared to the Insta three sixty? Which two? Very um, different animals. Very yeah. very 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 different cameras. Um, tell, the, tell me about the, it a little bit. The run cam the run cam thumb. Um, I would, I wouldn't bother with the regular thumb, uh, there, unless it's an application where you have a high risk of losing it. Um, okay. cause they're very inexpensive. Um, they're, they are. they're decent camera of uh, image quality, but not amazing. Um, okay. the run cam thumb pro, and I think it's a, it's HD, but it's not 4k. Um, it's like 1080p, I think. Um, the Runcam Thumb Pro is has a has a better image quality and it's 4K, or okay. can be can be set to 4K. Right. Um. It, it's the the regular thumb has a round lens uh, cover, and then the Thumb Pro is more of a, it's like a rec rectangular. Rectangle. Yeah, yeah. I would jump. It's a little more expensive. I would jump straight to the to the Thumb Runcam Pro. Pro. Thumb Pro. Okay. Um. It's still it's still under a hundred bucks usually when you can find it. Yeah, I, I I saw it anywhere between I think seventy to hundred, depending on which coupons you could get. Yeah, and um, I I've been I've been pretty happy with the Thumb Pro. I mean, if you look at any of the okay. like any of my, any of my Hornet onboard footage, um, that's or or any of my um, uh, Noob Wonder, uh, one the the Prandle Wonder. Okay. New Prandle Noob. I forget yeah, what, yeah. what yeah. we named it. You know that, what I'm talking about? Uh, no, uh, I, absolutely. I mean. And any of the onboard stuff from those has been uh, with the Thumb Pro. Okay. Um, okay, good. And to know. so, so it's it's better. It's still not, you know, it's not cinema quality or anything crazy like that. But it's very good for the price of the camera, and it's it's cheap enough that if you just if you ha if you end up destroying it, that yeah, it's gonna hurt a little, but it's not gonna be the end of the world. Right. It's it's not a four hundred dollar. Oh no. But it's, exactly. But uh, you know, and, and it, it will. It will be like, oh, that was some money. But it won't be like, oh my god, I just lost four hundred dollars in the drink because. And 
I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and it and it's a beautiful option for for quads, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, again, I'm no expert Seems in this area, but but um, being able because it doesn't have the onboard battery, it's it kind of fits the bill that everybody was trying to do has been trying to do for years with those with the naked GoPros where they right. where they strip the case off and they right. strip the battery out and they do all that and they power it off the quad. It, right. it it's kind of got all that built into it and in a nice little little form factor that's that's pretty good. Right. Um, it it seems easy to kind of place in different ways easily, but you can power it. You power it from the board and that from, from yeah. whatever you have, which it's like okay, cool. I didn't have to laden the craft down with another battery that right. I don't need. And that's another thing I don't want to have to remember to do. For me, it's like if I remember to put, I got, I got three batteries for the craft I'm flying. When I plug that in, it powers all the things. I don't have to remember. Did I plug? Did I, did I power the the thumb up? And the, how about my little square cam? Did I remember to? Because there's a hat cam. I got the the phone. The cell phone is a cell phone charge because I won't put the cell phone in there. Oh, don't forget the camera. I'm going to put at the end of the runway for the static shot. And then of course I got the quad. I want to put up in the air and do an aerial shot. Like, oh, for the love of Pete, how many batteries do I have to remember? I, you know, you got to have at that point, you really need a checklist. Yeah. You yeah. did. I charge all the things. And that's what a lot of people who say like, um, podcasters who do quad stuff, because it's not just the quad stuff. Like, you know, you got to remember the quad battery. Then you got to remember your local filming battery, whether that be a hat cam or a, a GoPro that you put on your body or whatever. You got to remember, did I charge that? But do I have a battery for my my goggles? I got to make yeah. sure that battery's charged. And then, of course, if I do any kind of other secondary shot with a separate camera or a, se a separate quad, all of those I need to remember. And like, yeah. as opposed to just taking a plane out and just well, flying. <laughs> almost, uh, almost every layer of it. Is it is its own hobby unto itself. The 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 video recording is one layer of its of itself. The the FPV you know setups is a whole nother. It's a, that's all its own hobby on top of the flying. So you you've got all these stacked, and it just it it adds up. I my hats off to the guys that that do it well. It's yeah. uh it's it's not easy. <laughs> um the uh, I I my I, I think the Thumb Pro. Um, gives you about 85% of what you can get from a naked GoPro with significant more, uh, well, it, with a significantly simpler uh, setup. Okay. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to build your own. You don't have to go buy a. You know, buy and destroy, uh, half destroy. Uh, you know, an expensive GoPro, or find one of the old ones that work a little bit better for the, for the naked GoPro setup. Yeah, so, yeah. I think yeah, I think those they are work all, pretty well. They're all options. I mean, it's not the idea is to get you know decent quality footage that when you put it up, people are not like, "Oh my god, this is garbage." I'm having a hard time looking at this, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and me, it's like you look at my channel. It's like oh, it's a hot mess. But I'm yeah. like, you know, I, I'm more documenting what I'm doing, so I remember. And so when I go back to the build thing or whatever I'm doing, it's like, okay, that's right. I remember I forgot a couple of years ago I did this thing, like. And this is how it went. Like, okay, cool. Um, my, my, mine is, my channel is purely, purely for my own entertainment. Okay, cool. Um, we did manage to get Joe, Joe called in. He's on his way back, but he's, uh, he's called in. I don't know. Uh, it, it, Brian, it sounded like you were kind of at the end of your thing. I figured we could switch to Joe, have him tell us about his past couple of weeks here. Yeah. Hey Joe. 
Hey, Brian. Uh, how's the audio, guys? Yours is good. It's a little low, but I think uh, it may be more on my end. Just, you're good. Well, hang on a second. I'll, no, uh, sound, no, it sounds good. I think yeah, we're good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yep. I'm, I'm maxed on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us what yeah. you've been up to, Joe. Uh, aside from getting called out in the evening to uh, go fix a site that lost power and couldn't get their internet back up. No. Yeah, we, but, I mean, we talked about that, but I mean, what about the hobby? Come on now. Uh, honestly, <laughs> nothing in the hobby because, as we talked about last time, I'm tearing the man cave apart. Well, how's the, what's uh, the progress on that then? Well, it's mostly empty. Everything's out of the man cave except for uh, the last little bit of my computer desk. And okay. I say the last little bit because I've tore the, half, the top half of it off and... I need. I was working remote today, so I needed something to put a computer on. Yeah, but I'll get the rest of that pulled out, and then I'll be on uh, yanking carpet out of there and scraping the popcorn off the ceiling and figuring okay. out what uh, color I want to paint the walls and all that. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, I mean, that's that's an important step. I mean, I, I know I'm looking at kind of relocating where my workstation and my my uh, hobby room are and I'm, i've got to do that kind of uh i'll call it the 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 jigsaw puzzle or the the tetris maneuver where you know it's like the house only holds so much stuff and there's only so much room to keep things in the interim it's not like you're just like oh i got this extra room i'll just put everything there while i shuffle everything around like no it's never quite that simple right like it's like, well, I can, but I'm displacing all the functionality of this room in the meantime. So I kind of have to get to it. <laughs> so and, and yeah, in my area, I think I just need to clean and organize it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, it's it's all a project. And it all takes time. Yeah, well, that's OK. That's an important part of the hobby. I think it's and that's part of why I wanted to talk about it with you just briefly. Um you know, just because it, it's it's something I think we all should be doing at least once a year, if not twice, probably, um, at least organizing our space. And every once in a while, it's time to like, nope, we're doing an overhaul. You know, pull everything out. Let's get let's think about how we want to reorganize it and, and it, you know, get it where you want it and put it back. You know, that's that's probably a once every couple of years thing. But, you know, it's important that it get done. Yeah. So this is this will take me a little bit to do. I'm I'm not putting a timeline on myself, not too long because your wife, my is. wife <laughs> is. Yeah, my, my wife is patient, uh, but the man cave has been relocated in piles to the living room. So um, that's not that's only going to stand up for so long. Yeah, it will. Especially uh, he, he was we were talking earlier today that you. You have a new addition to the household, um, not yes. uh, a, a puppy dog, which that that isn't always the safest thing to have a whole crud load of planes and an excited puppy. Puppy teeth and yeah. styrofoam do, do not mix. <laughs> <laughs> well, she can't get anywhere the planes are right now. Um, but no, so I ended up adopting uh, a four-year-old chocolate lab for my parents. That's and awesome. that's 
that ended up putting the man cave progress back a bit because I lost <laughs> the two days in the process of getting all that taken care of. But yeah, she's uh she's good. We got the the fence wire buried, so not running a physical fence, but yep. a buried line. And she's got the the collar to say, "Hey, you're getting close." And How she's was that? Trained. How was that How putting was- that in? I've never really done it. It looked like it was. I mean, the, the guys who professionally do it run in with one of those little kind of like chainsaws or whatever the heck they are for the dirt. But I mean, it seems like you could really just take a shovel and just kind of run a line. It's not easy, but it's not you hard. Can. Either. So what'd you guys do? Well, well, we ended up doing up against the base of the house because we always, we only fenced off the backyard. So yeah. it's against the back, back edge of the house. Um, and I actually, I was on call this past week, and so I had to go uh, and left my mother and my and you know Rachel to do a lot of that while I had to run out to a site. But they took a it's like a hoe, but it's flat. It's that flat blade. Okay. Um, it's like think a hoe, but it's not got the crook neck for the ninety. It's just a flat blade on the end of the stick, and yep. we just kind of pulled the dirt away from the base of the house and you lay the wire down there but getting into the grass and all um we were going to use like a flat shovel and just you know punch down and spread the ground but then um we tossed around a couple ideas where i've got a bush whacker kind of attachment for my weed eater and we ended up uh, borrowing my sister's electric edger Okay, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's not unlike just a shallow ditch witch. Yeah, and Um, I mean that's all you need. You don't need the thing like a meter underground or anything. You need it pretty close to the surface. A little bit. You just don't want the dog to dig it up. That's all. Right, and so we uh, well, you just don't want it coming up in rain at all, too. But Mm -hmm. so ran the they ended up running the the edge around the yard and then. Uh, it was still kind of rough on fingers to clear out the grass and the dirt from that shallow trench it makes. So mm-hmm. a mixture of that and that flat blade, uh, Rachel would stab it down and then work it side to side real quick. And then it's only like four or six inches, okay. but, um, you know, stab and work, stab and work. And that opened the ground up where then they could just stuff the wire down in it and then walk back and tamp it and it closed the ground back up so i was gone for two hours and they got it pretty much around the whole backyard cool um yeah you know, that's kind of here. install yeah <laughs> like it <laughs> uh i didn't say that um no no you but, didn't <laughs> but no they they did good they got it done um and there are some areas where I got roots that, you know, the top level skipping along the ground kind of roots from my neighbor's uh, bush patch tree grove nastiness that grows along the back of my line. Oh, yeah. So the, the edger couldn't bust through those roots. So I got to go back there and, yeah, there's some exposed wire back there that I need to figure out how do I want to bust roots and try to get it underground or just bring in a small load of dirt and build the ground up around that area. Mm-hmm. All right. But nice. yeah, no, that, 
I mean, if you're wondering and you're thinking, it goes easy enough. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've got to redo my fence soon. Um, and I think so when I do that, I'll probably put one in. And that way I can kind of stop my dog from digging under because he'll dig. And then yeah. if, it, if it gets him before he gets to that fence to start digging, he'll uh, hopefully it'll he'll. just kind of keep him. And that way he can just chill and enjoy the yard as opposed to like, you know, I don't know whatever he's trying to do. So something, yeah, something for you, you wouldn't necessarily have, cause you have a fenced in backyard. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily have to bury it the whole way. Um, you know, another option is just to run it along your fence and then areas where you need to have swing gates and stuff there, yeah, there dig, you dig bury it. Under it. There. Yeah. Right. But, uh, the wire that they use is just got some thin plastic, yeah, thin plastic right. insulator on it. So you have to do like what I'm doing where I have it crossing my driveway and then going up the side of my house. Um, I've got to run through a crack in my driveway uh, to, to let her have a little more room. And okay. there's some, there's some caulk that you'll, that I'll go out there and apply to hold it in place, but also protect it from the sun's uh, the sun's light because it'll it'll cook that plastic and uh, dry rot that uh, insulator off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's important you gotta get the right so, stuff that'll that'll hold up long enough. But right. Obviously, so if, if, you, if if you replace if you were running along your fence, you would just then go back with caulking and you know cover it mm-hmm. up. To secure it, but also to protect it, and then you wouldn't have to fight trying to bury the whole thing, or you just bury it as you're running your new fence around, whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to figure it out um, when I when I get to that. Ugh, I got other issues I got to deal with first. Uh, so slightly <laughs> torn rotator cuff and a and a back that oh, went out this weekend. About that. No, that just recently happened. It's been fun. Life. The, the rotator cuff's been kind of an issue, and I just been like, well, my arm doesn't feel right. And, and I'm like, this has been a while. It hasn't just sort of fixed. You know, sometimes you get a, a thing because you're old, and uh, you're like, that. And then like a week, you're like, oh, it's better. And there's other things that just don't get better for a while. So it's like, I better figure out what the heck this is. So I started looking into it a little bit more, and I think I, I have a rotator cuff that's been messed with so i gotta do something about it but anyway um and yeah and i had one of those uh coughing fits and and i guess i was sitting in the wrong wrong spot and i felt a thwart and my back went out and i went whoa <laughs> so that, know, that's been I, two days of uh kind of rehab and i'm still kind of you know uh, twisting and strengthening my sciatic nerve and strength you know stretching out those muscles and yeah it's, well, it's a bit I, of it's a bit of a drive, but I know a good chiropractor. <laughs> I heard it might be worth it. Uh, no, I, there's a couple in the area that I that are that are good. We're, it's, well, it's for, on the for, for anyone listening that doesn't know, my wife is a chiropractor. Oh, is she okay? Yeah. <laughs> Who's that now? Have her, his wife. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I need to have Hello. my neck adjusted. Yeah, well, she'll just come right through the phone, and she'll take yep. care of it for you. Heard? There Man, we go. That would be that'd be quite a new uh, new way to practice if that was possible. <laughs> I know, right? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Well, yeah. To, well, uh, I, I got questions for her then one of these days about that guy who's on on the on the YouTube, and he's got that weird table that 
you know. Oh, this I uh, if I still want to think of those tables are awesome. We actually we have one in the house that she uses. What? Yeah, I, I just I, they look like they're just almost like uh, they look like they're not really doing much. They almost look like they're like uh, they move around. I don't know how much they really do. They look like they're like oh and oh it, you so, release it makes a noise and it helps you feel better. So I don't know how thing, much it actually does. What does it thing, do? The, so that it it basically it provides a a safe impact force. Uh, the thing you did when you were sitting in the chair to knock your back out, mm-hmm. it does that in the opposite. It does that in a controlled and calculated way to knock things back in. Back in. Okay. And a, and a good chiropractor will know how to will know how to get things to, to line back up. I mean. You'll get some chiropractors will complain, claim that they can fix anything in the whole wide world yeah, and, yeah. and everything can be fixed. And it's not true. It's, <laughs> it's, it's what I if it's about. <laughs> there are there are there are there are a lot of things chiropractors can fix, and if it's caused by a pinch nerve in a in a joint, then yeah, it's then misaligned. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and it sounds like that's what happened to your back because yeah. Oh yeah. You, you no, felt it. I went. Uh oh. <laughs> and it was just yeah. It was bad. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It was one of those ones where um, it hurts just as I'm about to get fully vertical. Yeah. 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 Uh, thankfully, it's not all the other spots. I've had it the other way, and that's the worst. The, <sighs> for me, the, uh, having a rib having a rib knocked out of position is you know, oh. painful for me. What? Uh, I've never. Yeah. Had, that's incredible. It's. it's is it's that how brutal. you met her? It's brutal. <laughs> no. No, actually, the uh, another friend of mine was a chiropractor. Uh, a friend of mine's wife was a chiropractor and um, I was having migraines uh, that ultimately we discovered and I, and I started going to see her as a patient. And um, Mm -hmm. this is not long after uh, we had, I had graduated from college and um, but uh, it was because of a neck issue and a pinched nerve in my neck. And the only way I could stop these migraines is if I would get my neck adjusted. Um, and we figured it out and my wife saw that and she was, she had a, she had graduated her undergrad with a pre-med degree and saw how much the chiropractic was helping me deal with these migraines and other people that we knew I wasn't the only one, Um, but, uh, she saw how much that helped and that's what ultimately put her, put her over the top in deciding to go get her doctor chiropractic. Nice. So I, yeah. It's a it's a an interesting thing, and a lot of people have uh, an unrealistic view of it, which is unfortunate. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, just you hear good stories, that, like oh my god, this is amazing, and then you hear the opposite of that, which is oh my god, I'm worse off for for doing this thing, or I do this thing and it's not making anything better. I just have to keep going back to feel yeah. reasonable. And it's like, yeah. well, that's I don't, I don't think anybody really wants the. Um, I'm now reliant on on a chiropractor to keep feeling good, you know? <laughs> so yeah. that, that's, that's the thing that I hear them with. Well, I don't, I don't know. And um, I always, I always temper that with it. You, you hear the same exact stories about the, uh, traditional quote unquote, traditional medical practices as well. It's, it, it's, yeah. it, hap- it happens in every business everywhere. You yeah, have some true. people that are good at what they're doing and you have some people that are not, and you have some people that are, you know, just don't, don't care about, the people that they're helping or should be helping and, and some that do. It's, it's, right. uh, yeah. And it, it happens everywhere. I gotcha. Nice. Um, well, I, I appreciate you, uh, covering that with me. Cause 
it makes me think I should probably go talk to my massage therapist folks that I go to who've helped me out of shoulder pain that has been like, oh my God. And I'm like, I know it's enough. I can feel it. I can't do anything about it, but it's right there. And they're like, dude, it's not there. It's all there. And they're like, and with the back stuff, you should go see this chiropractor because he's the one we trust. Like we, we do work with these, with him all the time. Yeah. It's probably from all the hand launching of airplanes. Uh, dude, I'm, I almost I almost threw my arm out trying to throw it today. Anyway, we, we'll get into that right now, <laughs> if you don't mind. Joe, are you? Is that is that it for you for for a little while? Yeah, did yeah. We, did we cover? Yeah, I just don't have a whole lot going on, and y'all go right. ahead. I mean, I'm here, but I'm on the drive home, so I'll just sit here and right. listen. Yeah, I mean, you have you have your whole kind of zone, your hobby zone in flux. I don't know if you have like a plane that you've had ready and occasionally get out, but it's also been, I don't know about where you are, Joe, but it's been hot. I mean, it has, whoa, yeah. man, it, that'll, that'll melt the person. Really <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And around where we are, it's a hundred percent humidity too. You know, like, oh. it's not just hot. It's like, oh. like I, I can feel the, I can feel the, mo- like I'm, I'm walking through a, a chunk of moisture as I breathe in and out. I can feel it coming in and out because got that much in it oh oh that's brutal it's bad yeah anyway sorry go ahead no i I was gonna say like i do still have the the edge that i could take out and fly um Mm -hmm. but i'm now in a project and if i go and fly then it's not getting the project done Uh, Uh oh yeah right yeah there's that dichotomy there (laughs) yeah so yeah, I don't think I'll be going to fly for a bit. And the next time I go flying, I also want to have, I don't know, I, I've mentioned it before. I want to see if I can get like three fogies built so I can take the kids at the church flying. Because mm-hmm. um, I had plans to take them flying throughout the summer, and that just didn't work out. So, yeah, yeah, if you get them ready, I mean, the fall is a good time to kind of, because it's, cool enough to enjoy the time outside you know yeah and that, that's a that's a good time to have a plane ready so yeah get get your uh get your stuff this is a pot calling kettle black but get your stuff together and then <laughs> oh, uh, and then you well, can get that those planes built because i i'm i'm with you i'm gonna build a couple fogies again because they're just really good trainers i felt i feel like i need to yeah. do that too our uh my church has got a bunch of space out in the in the back area about right behind the church now we have a bunch kids. of property and i could be i could be flying with a with a kid from our church nice there you go cool. no it doesn't need a lot of room to fly yeah all right you go ahead i think i'm hitting some uh shoddy uh internet areas here yeah you you hit a little bit of a uh, robot stuff but we we heard you we got you um, cool. Well, then I'll, I'll go through mine real quick and then we'll get into, uh, we'll get into history. Um, so I, I, I've been staring at, uh, Aero FPV's channel who has now become Experimental Airlines. So if you haven't noticed, um, Ed from Experimental Airlines who came up with, I'll call it the streamlined version of flight test kind of construction. It's just like a real simple version of it. I kind of had a variation. Anyway, it's always one of those things you're like, oh, that looks really good. And I've looked at that for 10 years and thought, I should build one of these things. 
Um, and I finally decided I'm going to build one of these things. And it turns out what I do, what I've been doing with my construction, which is ironing the, the edges and stuff like that to kind of taper them. The only thing I haven't really done is done the, I'll call it the uh, facing tape trailing edge that he does. Um, basically has the underside is like a, is where you bevel. He puts tape along that. So it creates a, a full hinge that's reinforced, I guess a little bit. And then the tape comes straight out the, the back edge. And then on the top edge, he puts another layer on top. And so all that's left of the trailing edge are two pieces of tape that are taped together with a sticky side facing each other. So it's really, you know, with enough of it, it's pretty, pretty solid. And if you've done your plane right, it's straight. And <laughs> it's, if it's not some sort of wavy mess, like it's, it's really good. <coughs> And so I built one uh, using his method. And what, what he calls out for um, is basically he, he sands his. Um, and sanding makes a mess. It just makes a mess. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm typically inside my house. And I don't really feel like pulling out my vacuum just to get a couple piles of dust, you know, that I'm like, uh, you know. So I, I pull out the iron and just and take care of it. And then all of a sudden the edges are solid. When I put the glue down, it's against paper that's against foam. Like it's, I feel like it's a more solid connection. So I ended up making the second one like that. I, I'm actually, I like that one better. Um, either way, the construction method is interesting. The fuselage method, I, I'm not confident in, um, but it is quick and simple. And I do appreciate that. So I ended up building the baby Ansley peace drone, which is a canard flyer. The, the goal, his goal there was to basically take this plane, fold it up and put it in his luggage. And so, you know, carry-on luggage is like 22 inches long. He's like, well, this will be like 20 inches for the most part, with the exception of the motor. Take the prop off, and, and you know, I can stuck it in my luggage, and away I go, right? You know, put the, put the batteries in the transmitter and my carry-on and then the other stuff in the thing, and I'm, I've got a plane I can bring anywhere, which is pretty cool. And, you know, Amy, uh, I'm, one of the things I wanted to get her in, you know, if it's an, and it looks like it's an easy, chill flyer. You just pull it out and you just throw it on and go and fly. And it flies for a while. So it gives, it would give her time to fly and it would give her time to learn and it would be gentle, but then you could break down to almost no space because she doesn't have a ton of space in her house or in her, in her place. So yeah, I figured that would be a good one. If it works, then that was great. But so far, every time I've thrown it, it veers hard to the left and rolls. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I'm not, like it's a tube. It's a new, there's no twist to it. I mean, it's a, it's a solid straight, we can look down it and there's like, just, you know, you can, if you wanted to, you can kind of line up the, the, the front and back edges. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like I built these things exactly the way I see in the videos. And I think I've got the motor set up where they're supposed to go. I even changed out the motor to something a little smaller, something with a little bit less torque. It's got a five inch prop on it instead of like a 10 by by four or five or an eight by four or five. Like, I can't get that thing to get off the ground and stay flying straight. I thought I had it today. And then it was like gusting out of the field. Like in my yard, it was a little windy. I went out to the field. It was like there was a thunderstorm right next to us and it was pulling all the wind. So yeah, I, I, I just don't understand what was going on. Um, so after about another round of it, they talk about if there's like possibly putting a little bit of down, but then again, his motor is mounted high. So to pull it towards the center of gravity, that, that's a question Brian had asked. Like, is there any thrust angle on it? And 
So if my motor is set up like a flight test, I literally took a flight test pod and kind of put it in and mounted it just like a flight test, but I made it as a pusher. So it's straight and level. Like it's along with the drone top surface, which is right at the wing. It's like just below the wing. So, I mean, technically I think there's a little mush and I, I pulled it in a little bit. So I think there's a little bit of up thrust angle, but not by much at all. So I'd be surprised if that was it. I mean, it wasn't going up or down, like up or down. I could manage. It was veering left, like yawing wise, <laughs> rolling a little. I was like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't see any left or right. I tried to make sure that it had an even space along both sides. And the, the, the motor pod was, uh, the motor mount was flush with the, the printed, you know, uh, with, with the firewall. So it was like this, it was, it was straight and set. So, um, yeah, it didn't make any sense. Uh, so I'm thinking I'll, I'll either make a new, I'll just make it, if they're really quick, so I might just make a whole new one and see what goes. Um, in the meantime, I've made the bigger one. So I made, instead of making 20 inch, I figured to make the 30 inch and see if that goes. Um, so I was putting together the last piece of that. I've got to um, pull the pull the servos in and, and um, mount up the wings and, and put the motor on. But the, the motor this time I'm going to glue is a plywood piece and I'm going to screw directly onto the, the back firewall. So that's going to be done a little differently than uh, putting it in a power pod. So we'll see how that goes. So there'll be an update next time. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm switching my hobby room and my office. So what I've ended up doing is basically occupying one of the spare bedrooms in my house and almost always the dining room table um, forever. I mean, it's just always been this way. And it's unfortunately, it just means that I've got like two or three rooms that are just like chock full of planes, which I don't mind. But, you know, at the same point, like maybe the plane you walk into the house and see, hey, look, there's a whole giant pile of stuff and planes and building progress and all that stuff every time you walk into your house. Like maybe I should switch that. So my office is kind of more out of out of sight. It's uh, something I could probably put a curtain over or in front of across like a, a like a doorway. So that way it's not always visible. But I wanted to keep it on the main floor because I think that's why I keep going to the dining room and not going upstairs is because upstairs is where the kids are sleeping. I don't want to kind of, you know, when I do that, I remove myself from what's going on during the day. And, you know, if I'm building during the day, I, I kind of want to be where my kids are so I know what they're doing. Um, and if they have somebody over, I don't have to wonder what are they doing while I'm not watching. <laughs> like, just trying to make sure everybody's doing what they need to and keep safe. So, um so keeping it downstairs is probably going to help with that. Uh, I realized that during the day, I only need one large desk pretty much for um, what I need for my work. So I can put that in a spare bedroom very easily. Um, so I think I'm going to flip-flop the rooms. I'm going to move my piano into the... I've got a piano in the one room, and I'm going to move that into my dining area. Um, so it kind of opens up some more of that space. And so really, I think what I'm going to have is I'm going to have a dining room that's going to be more traditional dining room. So when you walk into the house, it looks like a normal house, I guess, as it were. And then, of course, if you, you know, go around the door and look to the right, it'll be a plain central mess, which is going to be my favorite place to be. So um, working on flip-flopping that, that's not the easiest thing. Like I said, there's a lot of Tetris action that has to happen before that really finishes up. So, um, but in the meantime, other than putting the APDs and the, the Ansley Peace drones, um, I'm, I, Amy has helped me as part of that effort. I've weeded out probably about 
10 or 15 planes that I realized like, I'm not going to fly again. So I took out all the electronics. I took out all the servos. I mean, mostly it was just servos. Um, I've destroyed those builds and I'm like, well, this one's really easy. I'll rebuild this. It, Cause the, what I have has warped and doesn't quite fly right anymore. So like I would want to rebuild it anyway. So I was like, all right, let's take all these down. And Amy's suggestion was, well, we'll just have a cat. We'll just hold the cat up and whatever plane he touches is the next one. You say, that's the next plane I'm going to work on until it's finished. And we're going to give it a go. And it'll either work or it won't, or you enjoy it or fly it, or it'll crash and it'll burn. Who knows? But either way, it'll start helping you weed out the planes you've got to list. She's like, what about this one? I'm like, well, that one needs like two motors and a thing. What about this one? Um, I haven't finished putting the surfaces on and it needs the little bubbles on the side. But now that I have all the systems, like I have it all. So I'm ready to do it whenever I can get to it. And she's like, well, how about now? And like, and I point to the place behind me. She's like, oh, yeah, you got to get through all that stuff first. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, um, but I, I do, I, so I pull out the Drachenflieger, which is, um, it's a three wing. If you look back, look back in time, um, it is the, theoretically, it was going to be like the first plane ever to fly, um, period. And uh, the, the guy who was, Chris, uh, Kress Drachenflieger or Wil Wilhelm Kress. Um, sorry, he was the he was the guy who did that. Um, so he had this design, and I guess he basically had it on two canoes, and he was trying to get it off the ground. I and he might have been able to do it, um, but I I think he didn't really understand that you need kind of a step on the on the water stuff and some other things. And honestly, based on what I'm seeing. I'm, I mean, maybe his models flew better than mine, but when I flew mine, um, the CG is at the very tip of the boat. It's like where it comes out of the water. That's where the CG is at. So if he's got the motors there, unless he's got people standing on the front of the boat, I don't, he was going to come up off the water and flip over. Like, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. um, so I, I'm curious to see, I'm, I'm going to mount my motors where he's got his, I'll do another uh, glide test and kind of see where it glides. And uh, again, I've got two, I'm going to put two five inch quadcopter motors. They're little ones, 1806s. So it's not going to put out a ton of thrust. I'm going to keep thrust low. I'll probably put wheels on the bottom of the canoes so that I can run across the runway, you know, uh, down, down the grass a little bit. Um, and other than that, I'm, I'm going to just see how that goes. Cause that was the last step. And I'm like, I was rummaging through a bunch of stuff the other day, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, Oh, look, a pair of 1806 motors. This is perfect. Here's a left. Here's a right. Awesome. Cool. We're, we're going to put this over here. And so, uh, I've got a motor mount for it set up and so I'm going to mount that up and keep it, get it solid and see, see what nonsense I can do with it. So, uh, that's kind of the next project. So I think that's what you're going to start seeing from, um, from me in the home build. If I'm, I'm going to be working at getting a couple stable builds that I can just put stuff on and enjoy and do more FPV stuff. And then I'm going to pull out like mothball stuff. Like, um, you know, I've got the, the flying car, you know, fix up the axles. That's all it was missing. Go fix up the axles. So I'll, I'll do stuff like that. Um, you'll be hearing more of that stuff. Um, yeah. So that's, I, uh, I yeah. have one, I have one question. <laughs> Go so ahead. If the Ainsley, if the small Ainsley P drone is for folding up and putting in your uh, carry-on bag, theoretically, is, is the big one 
for folding up and putting into your check bag? I don't know. I don't think so. I think he just, it's bigger and it flies for longer. And he, I think he's like, I can get like uh, 30 minutes or 40 minutes out of that. Cause wow. you can put a ton of batteries. Like, so yeah. the, the noob tube is like super long. Like he, he basically makes it 45 inches long or 15 oh, wow. inches long is the tube. And so what he does is he puts like four or five batteries in, in the fuse. And you know, the, the FPV stuff is way up at the front. You know, he's got, you know, most of the control stuff is near the back and he just kind of has it hang out. And nice. it's like, yeah, we can go for weeks. <laughs> you know, like, um, and that's part of what I liked about uh, Aero FPV stuff is he really shows that, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to really make an efficient plane that you can fly for literally 10 miles, you know, yeah. just fly for a, an hour and a half. He goes, I got like an hour. There's a little bit more time. I probably could have flown it for more, but I didn't, you know, yeah. and it's not, it's, I mean, they're not doing anything crazy. It's, it's really is genuinely like two sheets of foam board uh, wide. And it's like a 60 inch, you know, uh, wingspan with one piece of carbon fiber in the middle and just basically a tail section. Cool. And you Very just cool. kind of arrange the plane however you want. Um, so as I get some of the, uh, one of the other aspects is I'm, you know, I, I tried to get um, a stabilizer working. Uh, I've got those control boards I, I bought for Flight Fest. So I'll probably start, if I get the APD working, I'll probably use that as a platform to to get the flight controller on, getting HUD, HUD display stuff with the camera set up getting a return to home and a GPS and stuff like that. So I can just kind of take it, put some extra batteries in it and send it for a while and just go and enjoy, you know, whatever I'm, you know, whatever that ends up being. So, um, yeah. But in the meantime, um, I think that brings us to the end of our, I'll call it the beginning segment. So now we're up to the, I'll call it the highlight of the day, but um, let's talk about the F-16 Falcon, if you don't mind. Sure. And that's what it's called, right? The Fighting Falcon? That is the that is the official name for it. Okay, um, but that's not what an awful lot of uh, pilots and crew call it. Um, yeah, the pilots always call uh, their plane something different, don't they? <laughs> it is. It, well, it was very nearly named the Viper. Okay. Uh, originally, and uh, there's a little bit of little bit of story there. I'll get to that in the, in yeah. the history, but um, it's it's often referred to as the Viper, but the official name was the Fighting Falcon. Oh, well, tell us about uh, it. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's any secret. Uh, I absolutely love jets, and so that's why we keep getting getting here for. <laughs> I keep get coming in here for jets. Um, well, no, that that's excellent. Honestly, that that's part. So I love the weird planes, right? Like whatever kind of weird thing you could do. Like what in the world that flies? Like I'm in. You know, I'm I'm in. Let's do it. Yep. Let's see. Yep. Let's see if we can work. But like jets have have always been awesome. They're definitely really cool when you watch them fly by at, you know, Mach, almost Mach 1, you know, <laughs> like, wow, yeah. that's awesome. But they've never really, other than, like, having a model because it looks really awesome, like, I don't mm -hmm. I don't need to fly one. I don't feel excited, like, oh, I got to see how that one flies. Like, so I'm excited to to have somebody like you who who kind of reaches out and says, hey, can I do another jet? Like, like I'd love to because jets, I don't have that list, mental list in my head, like, oh, the, there's the f the, the F-12 and, and the 16 and 18 and the, well, the 22 and the 23. And don't forget this one and this one and this one. And, and well, let's talk about the MiGs. So like, oh, there's a whole other side of this animal. Like, there's so many cool jets we should talk about. And I'm like, but they all, they're all just, they're all jets. And I'm like, you know, and I know there are people balling up pieces of paper and throwing them at me right now. <laughs> like, you know, like, no, don't say that. And yeah. I know that there's some, and they they all perform 
differently and they're they're all really they all have had their role in history um, and have made an impact with a lot of people either because they know somebody who flew them they flew them themselves um, or they appreciate some of the uh, the problem the technological solutions to the to the weird problems that reared their heads in war right like <laughs> during this conflict this was an issue and we were up against this and this is how you know the 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 technology at the day solved solved the issues that were going on which is pretty cool to follow so let, let's learn yeah. about the f-16 yeah and uh just a, another comment uh um one of the other uh discord members the podcast listener uh richard uh spitfire 76 two, his, two of his, them I, he and actually, he and uh, mike right that's right um, mike did one, mike was working on one too They've been building. Um, they've been building Ben Harbor's YF-16 lately. Um, and Richard flew his recently, and um, it prompted me to go and pull out some history on the F-16. Some of it I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about it as a child, as a, as a and a young adult. I was absolutely obsessed with uh, um, the aircraft of the U.S. military, um, mm-hmm. jets in particular. Um, so it's uh, it became second nature to me for a while there. Um, so right. I, I get I get a little excited about it. some of them, so most of them. Awesome, yeah. No, I'm so, I'm with you. And so let so te- teach me, because yeah, assume I don't know. I mean, I do know some stuff because I've, uh, you know, there's a there's a podcast called the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and um, he he brings on fighter pilots who talk about the plane that they flew, and one is, of them is so, that Hazard Hazard Lee's. Uh, it podcast? is not. It's not hazard. Not hazard. Lee, okay. Uh, what's his name? Um, Eliel uh, Aiello. Uh, he goes by Jello. Okay. No, Jello? I yeah. I haven't listened to his. There's also yeah, an uh, a I'm, navy. I'm there, there's also a navy guy uh, backseater has a YouTube channel. Um, uh, and of course now I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's a Tomcat <laughs> backseater. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, um, he has a he has a fantastic history on a lot of a lot of navy on the from the navy side, uh, which is really cool. But anyway, we're here to talk about F sixteen. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's so, so let's let's start with the basics. The F sixteen it's a it's a single for anybody that hasn't seen one before or doesn't doesn't know anything about it. It's a it's a single seat, single engine, multi role fighter. Uh, it was originally built by a company called General Dynamics. Um, which was split off in the mid '90s. Uh, General Dynamics still exists, but their aircraft stuff and manufacturing was sold to Lockheed. So now the F-16 is produced by Lockheed. Um, the official name uh, was the Fight- Fighting Falcon, mm-hmm. um, as I mentioned before. But so many of the pilots and crew and fans of the F-16 call it the Viper, and even. Um, there was a version that the U.S. Navy bought and was using as an aggressor aircraft in the Naval Fighter Weapons School, which is the Top Gun school that, that everybody, that's what everybody called, or at mm-hmm. least used yeah. to. Anyway, their, the F-16N that they were using, I think, was officially called Viper for a while uh, as well. Okay. Um, but, the, but the F-16 itself is incredibly prolific uh, in the modern world. Um, there's variants different versions of the f-16 um being operated by at least 26 different countries around the world yeah um it's just under 50 feet long it's about it's like that's, almost 49 and a half feet long that's pretty, uh that's pretty big isn't it for pretty a long, modern, at least for, for a modern jet for a modern jet no actually 
Like okay. if you look at it, if if you look at a an F fifteen or an F fourteen Tomcat, which are uh, the F fifteen is still in service, Tomcat's been retired. Both of those are in the 65, 64 foot range uh, in length. Um, okay. So they're so they're at least 10, 10, 12, 13 feet longer. Um, okay. So that, which is not a, you know that's another twenty percent longer than the F sixteen. Yeah. Um, and it's got now, a it's a. Go ahead. Is this a plane that came after the Tomcat? Right. Like the... Yes. Okay. Yes. So the so the Top Gun plane, top the Tomcat, F fourteen Tomcat. This is the it's we'll call it predecessor or I mean, not predecessor. It's a pro- progeny it, of sorts. Um, I mean, well, they were well, kind of developed almost at the same time, almost weren't they? No, no. This was a the the F sixteen was a little bit uh, the next. It was kind of the next layer behind the Tomcat, the and I'll next I'll, I'll get almost. yeah, I'll get to that a little bit okay, uh, a little ahead. bit further down in the history. Um, right, go ahead. But uh, yeah, so the the size wise. Back to the the size. The wingspan is a little over 30, 30 feet. It's like a uh, 32, 32 feet eight, eight inches. Um, okay. Uh, so it's it's like I said, it's not nearly as as large as some of the other common fourth gen fighters, like a the F fifteen Eagle, the F fourteen Tomcat. Okay. Um, but it's lightweight. It's very lightweight, um, and it has excellent thrust to weight ratio, uh, mm-hmm. making it just incredibly agile. Um, the turn turn rate is the airframe is rated up to nine G's or more. Um, it is very very capable of, um, of very aggressive maneuvers. It's one of the most aggressive fighters out there as far as how hard it can turn as well. Right. Um, it uh, is, for is that, that mostly because uh, the structure or the pilot load or so there's a there's a few things. Um, uh, the structure has to be strong enough to to contain it, um, and uh, it has to have the it has to have enough thrust to weight ratio to keep to sustain that turn. It takes a lot okay. of a lot of power to to turn that hard for for any any length of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and ultimately the pilot has to be able to stay conscious during those during those turns. <laughs> what are you saying that somebody has to be there? To... <laughs> yeah, right. The guys. Yeah, the, crazy the pilot has to and and. And nine G's, uh, and yeah, nine, nine G's, G's will knock a, knock a person out pretty quick. Without, without extensive training, no so, one, no one will stay conscious under nine G's. Okay, uh, and under under the load of nine G's, it's it's just not possible without extensive training. And most of the pilots wear, with a few exceptions, most of them wear a G suit, which compresses mm-hmm. the compresses the legs and keeps the blood from pooling down in the legs. During these high G high G, um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, yeah, that's a whole, it's a whole thing we can go down. We're going to leave that rabbit hole where it is right now. So okay, um, go ahead. So so this agility, uh, this extreme agility of the F sixteen, it made it the perfect choice for the Air Force, the U.S. United States Air Force demo team, the Thunderbirds. A lot of us know about mm-hmm. who the Thunderbirds are. Heck um, yeah. We we touched on them a little bit in, in the uh, in the F four history of, uh, a few episodes back, mm-hmm. um, and you. so in 1983, um, the uh, after a very terrible accident with the previous aircraft, the T thirty eight Talon, where they uh, I, I believe the whole uh, the whole diamond uh, um, they made a mistake and the whole diamond went in, uh, four aircraft went in at the same time. Jeez, yeah, it was terrible. They took a year off. They regrouped. They came back with some brand new F-16s and, the, and a new team. 
um, and and set about rebuilding it. And that was back in 1983 is when they started back in with the F-16. Okay. Um, and they and they still fly it today. They granted they've been through a few iterations of different um, different uh, uh, upgrades in the F-16, but it's okay. it's still it's still basically the same air. I mean, it's basically the same airplane with a bunch of upgrades over the time. Um, okay. There's there's over we're talking about them being prolific there's over 4500 f-16s out that have been built and, uh, and out to di- different countries around the world regarding modern incredible. jets that's quite a bit i mean when you're looking at like world war ii planes like that that's not that many <laughs> um because yeah was, yeah it, it's just an, an incredible amount of airplanes that were built and and shipped around the world and all that and lost yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, to modern warfare and modern days, that's a lot of planes. And yeah, for, for a fourth gen fighter, uh, it is one of, I, I haven't checked the numbers for all of them, but it is, if it's not the most prolific fourth gen Western fighter, yeah. uh, it's, it's very close. Yeah. If um, that, yeah. If it isn't, it's pretty close. I'm, I'm looking at the Fox, the Fox bat, which is the MiG 25, which is kind of one of its, um, in that era of kind of this was its uh, adversary a little looking, little early, little earlier that the, the fox bat and the, it and the f-15 kind of it was the together. phantom's adversary but yeah um and that that was a 70 almost 80 foot long jet so yeah i was way yeah. off <laughs> the, the, okay, the, go ahead the fox bat's huge uh yeah it, but that's a big plan. that's a that's a different episode though. it is a different episode we'll that's talk about that episode. some other day if you uh, want to hear about it, yeah, <laughs> drop us a line. Let us know. You can reach us in our Discord or our uh, emails at matt at aviationrcnoob.com or uh, aviationrcnoob at gmail.com or you can reach Joe at Joe at aviationrcnoob.com. <laughs> oh, Go ahead. Man. And back to our but, scheduled, uh, regularly scheduled program. But surprisingly, the F-16 is actually still in production. Um, the, the latest variant, uh, either block 70 or block 72, that's one of the ways they differentiate the different upgrade levels, uh, mm-hmm. not just with the, uh, the suffix on the end of the, the F-16. Yeah, it's um, not just the A, B, C, D or whatever. Because yeah. it's exported to so many countries, they do the, the block nomenclature. Um, mm-hmm. but it's still in, it's still in production, uh, today it's been moved to, uh, oh, quite a while back or a while back they moved it. Um, but it's still in production at Lockheed's facility in mm-hmm. Greenville, South Carolina. And it's still being used today, too. That's the oh, thing. everywhere. That's, yeah, I mean, everywhere. It, I mean, into in the current military operations. Well, it may not be, um, I'll call it the premier jet anymore. Um, yeah. It's still being used, and it's really just a matter of like, well, if we can upgrade the radar a little bit better, it's still just as viable today as a fighter jet as it is, as it has been for the last what thirty years. Yeah, performance-wise, it's uh, it's 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 still up near the top. I mean, it's it's not the stealthiest jet out there, which is where we've really gone to. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, it ultimately, as from my understanding, ultimately the Air Force's plan is to replace all of the F-16s with the F-35. It's kind of the high-low mix yeah. where they have the F-15, uh, and then as the as the air dominance fighter, and then the F-16 will is the day fighter kind of thing. Okay. Um, uh, they're trying to continue that with the F-22 Raptor and the F-35, yep. but right. budgets being what they are, it's going to take a long, 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 long time to replace all these F-16s. And, and, that, uh, and that was one and, of the things being, being a single engine, it's operational costs per flight are significantly lower than most other jets, which makes yeah. it an attractive option to keep around because like, well, I mean, you could always have these as an intercept fighter. I mean, they're, 
they're still a threat. They still work and they're, they're cheap to keep around. So yeah. Why are we getting rid of those? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, so let's hear more about it. So, um, so just talking a little bit about what it looks like. Um, the, uh, we're on a podcast, not a visual medium, so I can't, it's hard to say, but, but there's, it's, there's kind of a classic outline for a fighter plane. And for most people, that outline is the F-16. Very classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, almost any aviation fan is very familiar with that shape. It's a, the, the wings are a, kind of a basic clipped triangle shape for the, for the wings and for the tail, for that matter. Yep. Uh, and then it's got long leading edge extensions uh, that blend the, the wing into the fuselage at the top. So it's a yep. very long blended body. Uh, out at the ends of the wings, there's rails uh, for the ubiquitous to use a fancy word, they're everywhere. Aim nine sidewinder missiles. Yep. Uh, at the end of that, each of the wings, yeah. That could be a whole nother show. Maybe we'll have Muttley come on and talk about missiles sometime. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> talk about that and so get him to talk about some MIGs. And and I believe they can I believe those those rails are actually suitable for the newer AIM one twenties as well. Um that I'm they, sure atta- they, could be they attach right out on the wingtips. Nice. Um the canopy on the F sixteen is a very prominent feature it's just this massive bulbous canopy um uh, mm-hmm. that's it dominates the entire forward fuselage um it's what One they call frameless. go ahead what it's it's what they call frameless so it's just this massive bubble and there's no frames of on the canopy in front of the pilot it's just right. there's one wide right, open, right behind them yeah yeah wide open unobstructed view it's massive they- they said that um, one of the pilots on the podcast, uh, the one who was talking about the, the craft that he flew in, he's like, it, it feels like you're basically sitting at the end of a, of a Mach 2 pencil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, a, can, a, I can totally see that. Yeah. You know, and he goes, that's pretty much what you're doing. You're, like, you're at the very front of this little pencil and you can see everything because it, it gives oh, a, a pretty much completely unobstructed view, except almost directly below you. And that's about it. Yeah. Everything else is pretty visible. So, yeah. It's, um, it's it's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. He, yeah. You so mentioned cool. that it's one of the one of the features he really likes about the aircraft. Um, and that, but and as big as that canopy is on the top of the fuselage, uh, on the bottom, just as big and prominent is the uh, is the intake, the single large intake for the bottom, uh, on the bottom of the fuselage for the for the engine. It's just this big, massive kind of kidney bean shaped duct that tucks right up to the bottom of the fuselage. Um, it's very cool. And then, uh, and then it's mm-hmm. got. You can see if you if you look at the top on one of the leading edge extensions, you can see the port for the internal. It's got a twenty millimeter uh, uh, Gatling cannon, so and the M sixty one Vulcan, um, which is in a lot of a lot of the American fighters. Um, it's capable of six thousand rounds a minute, which I- means that no matter how much you're carrying, it's going to be gone in a hurry. Um, but the idea, <laughs> the idea is. That if you have if you have another jet crossing you, he's going to be moving real fast, and there's you've only got a millisecond to to get rounds into that enemy, and mm-hmm. uh, and the idea is that if the cannon fires that fast, you've got a you've got a chance at getting a couple of hits on him instead of maybe one round from a you know a regular machine gun kind of thing. Um, okay. And then on top of that, it's got it can carry. These days, it can carry just about anything in the in the Air Force arsenal uh, on 
any of the, uh, most of the 11 hard points that are under the wing, including ferrying tanks. It's got some of them are wet hard points where they can pull fuel from them. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it carries a ton of stuff. Um, we can what? check the numbers and the specs down below, but it really looks like there there's almost more junk hanging off the wings than there is, you know, jet <laughs> on some of these. You're like, Oh my gosh, does that thing even fly? There's so much stuff under there. <laughs> it's really, it's really wild because, um, and I'll get to it a little bit more in a second, but there's, there's almost two modes with the F-16. One is where it's clean with nothing on it, but a couple mm-hmm. of missiles on the, on the wingtip rails. And it's just this super hot rod. Yeah. And then, and then you can also take that same exact jet and load up all kinds of stuff under the wings and bombs, missiles, you know, bombs, air to ground missiles, fuel tanks, whatever. And it's, it's just like a super u- utility truck to do anything you need it to do. Um, yeah, it seems like it. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. One of the things I heard is that the, the Vulcan cannons, they oftentimes don't, they don't like to have them on because the, or they've, they've had issues because the recoil from those guns is so massive that it, it really can cause problems with the stability of the aircraft <laughs> because it, it, uh, it basically slows it down so much when you're, when you're shooting it that you could really cause problems at, I guess at, at low ground support, which you, is why the A-10, because it was looking to replace the A-10 with that, with the Vulcan cannons, but they ended up basically realizing that, in the low ground support, you could get yourself in big trouble real quick with those. And they ended up keeping the A-10 because the A-10 was such a stable platform for that cannon at those, at for that mission, right? Like, so they, they kept it for longer. Yeah, Otherwise, this probably would have replaced the A-10 well, earlier. Well, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit there. Um, the, the 20 millimeter cannon isn't really, isn't really for air to ground. Um, the 20 millimeter rounds, those won't. are for okay those are for the air, air yeah they okay they won't yeah they won't penetrate modern tank armor the but the m61 and the gau 8 which is the uh the a10's cannon the 40 mm-hmm, millimeter, yeah. the 40 oh. millimeter uh well 30 millimeter it's 30 millimeter but it uses a 40 millimeter casing um the gau 8 they're the designs are almost identical um not uh, it's unfair to say that very similar design all very similar concepts uh and the gau 8 is scaled up with for a round that will penetrate modern tank armor um so that and and with the a10 with the gau 8 that's where they really have a problem because the the recoil of a of the gau 8 and an a10 is is about is roughly equal to the thrust of one of the a10 engines so it it dramatically slows the jet down now they can't fire it sustained because they don't have you don't have that many rounds um the a10 carries a lot but 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 like an f16 for the m61 they they only carry about 500 rounds on board uh, okay but with, with the full load, full load so it's not not quite the same so now i want to i want to shift shift gears a little bit to some of the the to set the stage for how the f16 came about um uh, so backing up, as the Vietnam War was continuing on through the late 60s, uh, there was a, a gentleman by the name of jo- uh, John Boyd, Colonel John Boyd. Um, uh, he realized that what the Air Force was doing with uh, big heavy fighters like the F-4 Phantom carrying just stacks of missiles 
um, was really not working well with the rules of engagement and dealing with these smaller, lighter fighters that the that the, that the enemy had at the time. Um, it just it just wasn't working very well. So he started he he was started working on a few things. He he pioneered um, what's known as the energy energy maneuverability theory, which is uh, if you've heard the pilot sayings. Um, speed is life, or um, if a pilot needs speed, altitude, uh, needs two out of three, speed, altitude, or brains, um, that's mm-hmm. energy. That's where that, that all comes from, that energy maneuverability. It's you need to have high energy and have a high, highly maneuverable jet to win, to win fights in the air. Right. Um, so speed and altitude, that's where you get your energy from. Um, and then he also... Uh, was instrumental in popularizing something called the OODA loop, um, which is, uh, OODA is an acronym that stands, it's O-O-D-A. It stands okay. for obs- uh, Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. And the concept is the the person in, a, in any fight, whether it's in a jet or anything, the person or organization that can cycle through that OODA loop faster and 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 go around that more frequently and faster will win every single time so if you observe what's going on if you orient yourself Mm -hmm. to to understand that's about understanding what's going on then deciding what to do and then actually doing so observe orient decide act the faster you can process that loop over and over and over again that'll win you fights and and uh so so Boyd, Colonel Boyd, uh, kind of had a lot of people that were listening to his theories and, and the things he was putting out there. And, and that group of people within the, um, the Air Force and in Washington, D.C., became known as the Fighter Mafia. Um, okay. So they were st- basically they were strongly pushing these con- uh, the concept of a highly maneuverable and efficient fighter with absolutely maximum available thrust. To have okay, the highest right. highest thrust to weight ratio possible. Right. So the first program that came out of that, uh, from the fighter mafia and everything, uh, was the first what we've come to be called as an air dominance fighter, um, just untouchable mm-hmm. in the sky, and that's the F fifteen Eagle. Um, right. That's an and and that one's a different history. So we'll yep. we'll we'll have to come back for the F fifteen <laughs> Eagle sometime. We, we will like app- there's. There's a whole list. Uh, oh, yeah. I really need to make the list and start taking them off <laughs> as we go because we've talked about some, but we, yeah, we missed and glossed over so many other really good aircraft. F-15 yeah. Eagles it's, one. So go ahead. It's hard. So the so the fifteen the F fifteen is a brilliant brilliant jet, um, but the Air Force brass real very quickly realized with how expensive it was that they could not cut they could not afford enough of them to do what they needed to do um, to get enough fighters, just to have enough quantity of fighters. So they started a new program. They call initially called it F dash XX F the FXX program. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was all about the lightest weight, inexpensive, but high performance. So, so had lots of, lots of power, but it was yeah. ultra lightweight. Didn't have a whole lot to it. Um, no air to ground, no nothing. It was a, a day fighter, no no bad weather capability. None of that should be built into it. None at all. 
Mm-hmm. It's um, it's the thing you say. We have a threat. Go out, get it, and take it out. Yeah, just and come dirt, come back. Dirt simple, hot rod, air to air fighter only or close yeah. in knife fights. Right. Yep. Um, pretty much. Yeah. So so out of that out of that program, there was two prototypes that came out uh, from two different companies, uh, General Dynamics and mm-hmm. uh, North Northrop. Um, one was the YF sixteen, which we're here to talk about today. The other one was the YF-17. Mm-hmm. Um, the YF-17 was really cool, but the 16 wanted out, won out um, for the things that uh, the Air Force was looking for because it was a little bit simpler, lighter. The, the YF-17, I think what, um, what killed it for the Air Force was that it was a twin-engine design. But it also, yeah. it also saved the YF-17, which I'll touch on in a second. Um, so the Air Force selected the YF-16 um, to, to continue on, and they were going to go, they planned to go to production with it. Um, but the Navy, the U.S. Navy, was watching very closely, and they really liked the YF-17, and they really liked the concept, uh, all these concepts that were coming in. But uh, they, being uh, base aboard ships, uh, they wanted to have the extra reliability of having a second engine available. And so they followed up with Northrop afterwards to develop the YF-17 after the competition into a carrier-capable jet. Uh, and that became yeah. what, what we know as the FA-18. Right. Uh, but that's also a different that, And that is a whole different That's a whole other. That's a, that's a whole different history. Yeah. Uh, so, so, the, so the YF-16... Um, there was some some really cool stuff. We've touched on a couple of them. Um, they had uh, some new features, particularly in the cockpit area, that were really wild. Um, they focused on giving the pilot an advantage. Um, we talked about that canopy. That canopy yep. was huge. If you can't find, if you can't find your adversary in a dogfight, you can't you can't beat them. So having that massive unobstructed view is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, I, I... I think the pilot on the podcast mentioned the the thing you lose by not having that I'll call it up uh, forward rim mm-hmm. in the in the cockpit glass is you don't get the rear view mirror. I think it was yeah, that's not that's not that big. I mean, it's nice, but I mean, the the yeah. unobstructed view is so much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's it's not often you're going to have somebody pulling up behind you, flashing their lights to pass you, right? In a, well, no, in but a, I mean, if you're, fighter, I know, if you're I looking know, for an listen. adversary and trying to figure out, are they behind me or ahead of you? It's, yeah. I guess when you're in the aircraft, it's really tough to kind of look behind you. So yeah. um, without having to do a bunch of maneuvering, um, yeah. the, the, the rear view mirror does help. But I can imagine it's not easy to pinpoint the the very small where you're that is looking. your yeah yeah so and you still admits it's not it's, it's marginally helpful at that point. yeah and you're you're still gonna have to turn around and look look over your shoulder to try to figure out where he's at mm-hmm. um yeah. the the next the next big one and, and this was a massive one that doesn't seem like a big deal um but it's massive uh is this they they took the the ejection seat and they very steeply rec- reclined it so the pilot's laying laying back almost. It's at a no, thirty it's like a lazy boy. A thirty at a thirty degree angle, um, and the reason that's so important is because it makes a very big difference in how the blood moves in the body as you're pulling high G's. 
Right. Um, it's it's not pulling straight to your legs. It's pulling to your back and your right. your your butt more or less, as opposed to going straight to your legs. Which that means you're conscious. That that means it's <clears throat> easier. It's easier to stay conscious. Not easy, but easy. <laughs> a little a little easier. And um, and it and it makes a very very big difference in um even in you know highly trained highly fit um pilots who are you know pulling pulling nine G's on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it it gives them a fighting chance to stay awake, right. um, as well of, as uh, supports their body better too. I mean, you got to imagine that that weight has got to be it's being borne by your your body structure for the most yeah. part. But if you're thirty yeah. percent, part of that is being supported by the chair, right? It's yeah. being supported by the seat, yeah. um, and not just you know your head becomes the what is, if it's an eight pound head. <laughs> you know, nine eight, G's. Eight, that's a seventy-two eight, pound rock sitting eight times the top. Nine, yeah, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, that yep. becomes really heavy really quick. And Absolutely. if uh, at thirty percent, that's oh, let me forget my only trick. I got a portion of that anyway. So uh, let's just say thirty percent of that. And I know that's absolutely wrong. My brain is not doing the math right, but. Let's say thirty percent of that is borne by the seat. Now all of a sudden you've got a fifty fifty pound head. Yep, <clears throat> and it's and it doesn't all go. And and when you're when the seat is upright, uh, all of that load goes right through your spine and compresses the spine. And mm-hmm. I've never I've never checked medical histories, but I've always um, understood that the that some of the more traditional fighters pilots often would have significant yeah, back issues. problems yep. uh, with with compression of discs and things like that. Yep. And, and uh, and I and I have to believe that this is that's mitigated some by the by that seat. So or, or the, by the fact that they get to fly fighter jets and they're like, I don't care. Does that I mean they get care. to fly a fighter jet? I guess that's the the price I gotta pay. <laughs> I don't care if I gotta watch walk hunched over when I'm old. Exactly um, right. And then uh, the last the last thing though um, uh, was equally big, uh, and this one seems it seems as big. Uh, this is the fly by wire system. Um, this is one of the first jets that there was not hydraulic or mechanical linkages all the way out to every control surface. Um, this was all completely done electro electronically, um, right. m- much like our RC planes. Right? There's no there's, yeah, there's no all... mechanical link everywhere. So um, it was fully fly by wire. And along with that, one of the one of the novel things that they did, and as, I don't know of any other jet that's done this after. Um, but they put the uh, the primary control stick instead of between the pilot's knees, where they, mm-hmm. you know it's sitting right in front of them. They put it on the on the side. They put it on the right side of the the console, so the pilot just has his arm resting on the console. Um, and they had some early teething issues with it, um, and it actually led to uh, by they had to figure out you know what the force needed to be like and how much movement it needed to have. Um, I think early on it was actually force only and they didn't even let the stick move. Um, and it led to, uh, along with a few other things, it led to an accidental first flight during a, uh, a high speed taxi <laughs> test. They got into some, they were, they were doing a high speed taxi test with a YF-16, um, before they had ever done a flight and, uh, the, the, the test pilot, um, got into a little bit of a weird oscillation that he couldn't correct because he couldn't get the force right on the stick. Um, and, and ultimately in in order to stop it and ultimately he decided to pull back on the stick and get the aircraft airborne. 
instead of letting it oscillate until it, you know, no, you know, yeah, tri- tripod it over into the grass and uh, broke it. So, so there's this, uh, instead of flight number one, they call it flight number zero. So there's this weird flight number zero before the official first flight of the YF-16 that's out there, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, pretty rare. Yes. So those are all, those are all really key pieces and, and that, that are part of the puzzle that becomes the, I'll say legendary agility of the F-16. It's very highly regarded among fighter pilots as you you've mentioned from that in the fighter pilot podcast Mm, yeah and honestly if you want to get like a first person perspective on just being a fighter pilot and what they kind of go through and the firsthand experience um i can't recommend that podcast i want to say thanks to richard i think turned me on to that um a long long while ago and it's really a good like pick your favorite jet and listen to a couple fighter pilots. Some have flown in it. Some have not. The, the Vincent Aiello is uh, his uh, what handles Jello. Um, he he's the one who's talking to all. He's a podcast host, and he talks to mm-hmm. his, his different buddies. And he always um, he always has somebody on who's flown that jet, whatever it is. Um, and just they, it's really neat to hear their first person you know, recollections of it and, and their experiences. And they were like, Oh, well, it's like this and like this. And you're like, wow. And then when they describe sometimes about like how the different craft fly and you're like, I've flown, that. I've flown a, you know, an F 22 cause I've made a model of it and it sort of, maybe it doesn't fly. Well, I wonder if it flies like, and the way he's describing it, like, that's exactly how I describe exactly how the like. RC flies. And like That's great. You know, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. So one of the things they talk about a lot in the different things is I've I've listened to the F twenty two and the F thirty five episode and a couple other like the Tomcat episode, a couple other ones. Um, they talk about and some of the, even the Phantom one. You know, way back um, when things were the earlier ages of the jet, they talk about how the different generations by alleviating the pilot load of flying the aircraft, you enable the pilot to focus less on how do you get there. And and physically doing the things to do it, and focus more on where's my enemy? How do I how do I coordinate what I've got to get that enemy out of the way? Right back to John Boyd's OODA loop concept. Exactly. Let's and them process the OODA loop faster. Exactly. And so it by by alleviating those those loads, the fly by wire, by not having to pull on the stick and and do move the server. I mean, when you're and I remember one of the things that pilots were concerned about and i think it was quickly alleviated because that that loop shortens and it becomes an asset and doesn't is that they don't get the feedback right the the concern is that in a failure situation they're not gonna be able to do it it's like well in a failure situation you're kind of host anyway <laughs> like but but you don't yeah. get the feedback from the plane like you're not getting that oh this is harder something's there's more turbulence there's more something like i can't i can't feel what's happening to the plane through the stick because you do yeah um but it's offset by the the gains you get in fighter load release you don't have to worry about all this you don't have to pull on the thing like oh this is a hard turn to make like in the 9g turn pulling on that stick is going to be hard well not really not when you're just doing the thing and the hydraulics do the thing and then off you go you know nowadays you just say i want to go over there to get that craft it's like okay see you there 
you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you have absolutely. to you have to worry about like hey i'm gonna get these three drones to go over there i'm gonna get this guy i'm gonna i'm gonna coordinate my ground source to to laser tag it i'm gonna you know the, you're doing that's the that's the difference between the generations you're focusing the, on the fighting rather than you're the flying. exactly and the, the 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 plane does most of the flying and and in a pinch you you do the flying if you have to is what it seems what it seems to be but so this is one of the first advances in that release of pilot load to focus yeah. more on flying so that or, or on fighting and on on the mission at hand really yeah. is what it is and that's pretty that's, cool that was yeah that was one of the huge aspects of that fly-by-wire system that that brought that in they could they could tune that in so that the, the plane would fly itself and it would just it would go where the pilot was telling it to go uh, right. Rather, rather than the pilot having to do all the nuances of figuring out the, the dynamics of it, it just went where it wanted to. Definitely. Um, Very cool. But but uh, so something something interesting happened to the F-16 over its lifespan, though, over this long lifespan. Right. It's its first flight was in the late 70s. Uh, right. And here and here we are in 2023. Um, right. 50 and it's, years. You know, it's still yes. it's still an extremely viable aircraft. <clears throat> um it, I mentioned it was designed as this ultra lightweight, high performance, super inexpensive, daytime, good weather only fighter. Now, uh, just because the basics of the design of the jet was so good, people started realizing, hey, if we just upgraded this little part of the electronics in the plane, uh, or if we put an extra hard point on it uh, where we could mount stuff to, we could start adapting it to other roles. And it just right. snowballed. And it snowballed. And it snowballed. And it snowballed. So now it's um, relatively speaking, it's cheaper than other. It's cheaper than the F-15s. It's cheaper than the Raptors. It's cheaper than the, yeah. the F-35s. But it's the price has crept up quite a bit, not just because of inflation, um, but the, <laughs> no, uh, but be, the because what the upgrades that needed to happen to keep it uh, well, current. Well, not right? just to keep it, not just to keep it current in its in the current role of this lightweight fighter. Um, but it has expanded to almost every role that the, the Air Force has. Um, oh, wow, nice. The all the all the avionics have have you know been upgraded. Um, they not just air to air combat, but there's air uh, air support on the ground. Uh, you know, air support of ground ground troops. Mm -hmm. um, uh, bombing. You know, air you know air to ground strikes, uh, which is a completely different thing. Uh, reconnaissance with uh, a number of different reconnaissance pod, electronic warfare with uh, all sorts of jamming pods that the that the F-16 can carry now. Uh, suppression of air defenses. I think in the F-4 um, uh, episode, um, we talked about the Wild Weasel role. Uh, suppression of air yep. defenses. That's one yeah. of the modern modern ways they describe that Wild Weasel role, where you go out hunting SAM sites and you mm -hmm. know wait till they. I, I don't know what their current techniques are, but basically wait till they you find them and then, and you, then you whack them. Them. yeah you activate it and you whack them all <laughs> hit them hit them from a distance so so mm -hmm. the f-16 went from this this plane where it was supposed to be nothing but a dogfighter um mm -hmm. but the reason that for its longevity is that it's been incredibly adaptable because the airframe is just just a very brilliant basic uh the basic structure of it is well suited to all sorts of things it just kind of goes to show that if you if you if you have a good solid design from the from the outset, it can be uh, adapted to so many things. We see that with the F four Phantom we talked before, mm -hmm. the F yeah. the F fifteen Eagle, the F fourteen Tomcat, the F eighteen Hornet. All these jets from that same time period have have uh, seen their 
going from a, a very focused role to being extremely capable in most roles just because the, of the excellent design. And I, hmm. if it weren't yeah. for the high cost, we would see that with the uh, F-22 as well. Um, yeah. But we certainly will see it with the F-35. Um, but they had, uh, you know, the F-35 yeah. is slated to replace most of the F-16s eventually. <clears throat> yeah, and they're they're also designed with modularity in, in mind. Yeah. Um, which is not what these, n- none of these aircraft, these were purpose-built. Yeah. They weren't designed to be like, oh, just pull this out and put this new thing in. And you're, well, you're they, up and running. It's like, well, no, they, you just, it's it's in there. Sorry. They, well, <laughs> they were actually, actually, they were designed for the modularity. That was one of the great things about it. They didn't plan to change it out for different things. They planned it for serviceability where the the, oh, right, uh, yeah. the electronics were on you know boxes that plugged in that they could just pull out and then plug them and right. take them out of the jet and swap a new one in if something went bad. Well, come to find out, you know, hey, we can add all this electronic capability to this. We can all we can fit it in this box. Hey, this box goes right in where the old one used to go, and right. we can all add, we do is add make this a couple connectors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it ended up ended up being more more modular than. They yeah, on, I guess they just intended it from a serviceability standpoint yeah. in, the, in the beginning, but it ended up being it's funny because you incredibly brilliant for its long term viability. You, you look at a lot of the World War II planes that were light and had more longevity than others, and most of those had to do with serviceability. The planes that were designed with hey, how do we get this parts and pieces of it fixed and put back in the air? were the ones that kept around longer, Completely you know, agree. and that's what you, I think that's what you realize as you look at different planes throughout World War II and as World War II evolved, the later the aircraft, the more likely there was a focus. And when you look at like, I'm trying to think of what some of the aircraft were that I remember reading histories about, but like the, the focus on modularity for serviceability, like, Hey, there were parts that you just pulled out and put it in the new thing. The, the gear clipped and pulled out and put on a new, like, these these parts are going to break because they're going to happen because this is when things go wrong they go on this way and this way and this way so we're going to make sure that those things are easy to replace you know that, that there are you know ways to access pieces of the engine because these are the parts that tend to wear and tend to fail so yeah. when you when you build that into the plane those are the planes that ends up keeping around that they keep the same you know the same engine for these things for like these four planes because. <laughs> If you've got a fleet of these four different types that they do all these different things, all you got to do is keep these parts around and you'll be able to fix any of them. You know, it's like, oh, Absolutely. that's awesome. This is what we want, you know. And it, I, and not that that's hard to grasp, right? But it, it seemed like those that that need and desire came to the forefront as the war moved on, right? And as yeah. as the needs of the, the military progressed, right? And obviously it continues today, so... Well, tell us, see if you can tell us some, uh, were there any more, like, I know that th- these things always go through a million variants and you could probably spend a whole podcast on just the variants, but I, I know this one had some pretty interesting, uh, one or two here. I have one that I want to touch on. Okay. Um, tell us about it. The, the, so the F-16 didn't have a ton of really unique variants that, you know, that really stand out, right. uh, except, except for one and it's one of my, it's it's a favorite of mine for i'm not sure why um but uh in 1980 which was still really early on um they took uh, a couple of the 
first within the first ten uh, F-16 uh, airframes that were under in production. They they took them and they created a variant they called the F-16 XL, um, and it was unique in that it had a it was a full delta wing. Uh, and it was a cranked arrow style. So it would have, you know, a narrower angle in the front end of the wing, and then it would widen out in the back. Um, mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the Saab Draken, um, yep. that's, uh, it's it's very similar in style to that with how that wing was shaped. But it's a full delta wing and didn't have a tail. Um, and, uh, the, uh, and they added another four feet to the center fuselage. So it was uh, roughly four feet longer overall as well. Um, they built two of them, and right. um, there was there they were playing around with it, and that was some of the early original talks about doing an air to ground version of the F sixteen back when the the base plane was still being considered uh, just a lightweight day fighter. Um, those planes were used for all kinds of stuff. The Air Force um, flew them the two planes, even though that that part of the program didn't continue. They continue to fly those two examples first with the USAF, and then uh, NASA took them over, um, and they continued flying them until uh, until 99. So for almost 20 years, they flew these two jets, gathering data the whole time, learning stuff, making modifications, and learning stuff about the base F-16s and about newer designs coming, That even stuff that we haven't seen yet and as the general public. Um, And uh, it's really fascinating. And... um, NASA has a really cool, um, it's a, it's a PDF book, uh, and they call it elegance in flight. Um, that really goes mm-hmm. through the, the history. Anybody who's interested in the F-16 XL should really go read that PDF and it'll be, in, um, it'll be in the show notes. There'll be a link yeah. to it. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a link for NASA's site. Um, I, I encourage <clears throat> anybody who's an F-16 XL fan who loves that, that particular version. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are, um, Highly recommend go go check that out because it's it's re- it's a great it's very technical, but there's some good history there, some really cool pictures that you don't really see anywhere else out on the web, um, and it's 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 a fun read. Was the point? Uh, I'm uh, not that I wasn't listening. Yeah, I was listening. And just <laughs> uh, I'm I was like I'm looking at the you know there's like a uh, two variants. There's like the modified leading edge. We'll call it. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a glove that went around it. And then they, of course they showed where they stuck a ton of instruments on the leading edge to understand, I guess, oh, so, uh, so hypersonic you're, you're... And, and supersonic flight, right? Yeah. So they, yeah, they've done, they used it for all kinds of different experiments. And the, the, so there's a photo that I added to the show notes that, um, that, that you're referring to that, I've added um, a couple more too. and, and I'm not sure exactly what, um, uh, this is one of the NASA era yeah. photos, so I'm not sure exactly what they were testing in this right. in this case. Um, but they yeah they did all kinds of different stuff. But the 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 pure point, the original point of of doing it was to give it um, a much lighter wing loading, um, or or much more wing area, so that mm-hmm. it could car- so that it could carry significantly more weight. Okay. Um, for for carrying air to ground stores, they they figured that it needed that to, to, to be able to do that. Um, and uh, they found all like, kinds of different advantages to it uh, in addition to just having lighter loading. If it didn't hold enough munitions already, let's well, add the, another two or three rows is what it looks like you can add by doing this. 
But that's the thing is that at the time it didn't. When they made when they made these, when they first developed these, they it was still strictly the the day only fighter, like the primary role of the F sixteen oh, okay. was to just to go out in a clean configuration. Couple sidewinders. With, with a couple of sidewinders, yeah. a fully loaded cannon, and that's it. Maybe maybe uh, a sparrow. Uh, or the AIM-120 later, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the medium-range missile, maybe a pair of those under the wings, and that's it. That's it. That's all they planned for at the beginning. Yeah. And so this was this was their first oriented, and then they after they did this, they realized they didn't really have to go this far and make a very dedicated variant to do it. And the, but this is what got got us to what we see now in the okay. 16 with the mm. you know with the massive the massive load carrying capability that it, that it does have. Or at least what it looks like it has. <laughs> Just like, look, oh, man, it's there. That's a, that's it's a lot there. of hard points in there. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I want to cool. say that the uh, the max takeoff weight is almost double the empty weight. Uh, no, it's more than double. Uh, so the empty weight is just under 1,900 pounds. Or excuse me. Yeah, 19,000 yeah, pounds. 19,000 pounds is right. the empty weight. Uh, and the max takeoff weight is uh, just over 42,000 pounds. Right. Um, so which that's is that's a big difference. That's that's a double. It's weight and payload, basically. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and and the, and there's uh just since we're we're talking about some of this stuff, the engines. Yes. Um, there's there's two different engines that were uh used mostly or two primary engine families, the GE F110, and uh and then the Pratt and Whitney F100, and I think the um. I think they switched to the F100 later. It's got a little bit more thrust, and I think it's a little bit more flexible than the original F110s. Um, uh, but but both both variants of those, I believe, will also uh, both of those engine families were also used in the F15, uh, and then the F110 was also used. A variant of that was also used in the F14 Tomcat for the for the D D models. I think the B models and the D models. Uh, got the F one ten, which was much better than the original in the top cap. The, As I'm, the, I'm jumping all over the place. No, I'm know. sorry. I'm so looking many, at the, It's all tied together. Go, it's all. I know the yeah. the wiki <laughs> has this list of munitions that it is capable of carrying, and it we would be here for another podcast just going over. It's a huge list. It's, it's a massive. M- massive list of possibilities. It basically stuff you never <sighs> even heard of too. You ever heard yeah. of a pain? A penguin anti ship missile. I I haven't heard, I, of, heard of I that have, one but that's only because I I played a couple sim games way back <laughs> in the day. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> but other than other than that, no, I would never have heard about the the, the penguin <laughs> and a couple other. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's they're really. It's incredibly personal. Go go look up the information you're looking to. Like it went up to what was it Mach two point oh five? I think is a max speed. Just, yeah, just over Mach two, and they very rarely, very rarely yeah. go that go that fast. Yeah, they really most of the time it was what uh, Mach one point two or so. Right? Yeah, it, yeah, cruising. Yeah, cruising under like Mach one point five. It, it's a dramatic difference in the amount of fuel consumed <laughs> usually uh, and and well in the uh, and the other side of it that that nobody ever talked about is when you when you take when you take fighter jets modern jets up to their top their vmax there's usually limited structurally and um mm-hmm. like skin heating and, and and i've heard many pilots say 
that, and particularly the faster ones, the uh, the F-15s, the F-14s, and stuff like that, if you take it out to VMAX, the jet is usually never the same again. Um, okay. Yeah, when you bring have, it up to its limits, it's, it's going to mess it up. You're burning paint off of stuff. You're you're tweaking pieces and <laughs> and 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 it's uh you know it requires significant amount just just to clean it up after you do that it right. requires many many hours of maintenance by the ground crew to do it so they they try to back it off and they found that I mean you'll you'll notice that the more modern jets the the F-35s and even the F-22 for example um they focus on getting up to speed with less fuel they, right. they focus on they don't they don't usually shoot for anything over Mach 1.6 anymore um just right. because they don't they don't feel like they need to go any faster than that right if they're if they're not i mean there's a couple of them that are capable of super cruise which is basically their cruise speed is above Mach. One. yes most yeah. of the With, time the cruise speed is just under Mach. it's a, like a Mach 0.85 or 0.9 and then typically that range between 0.9 and 1 is a hot mess aerodynamically. <laughs> so yeah, what they yeah. do is they they punch it to get through the mock barrier. And once they hit on the other side of the mock barrier, they can kind of then come back to, oh, call it a, a relatively safe cruise where the yeah. turbulence is gone and now they can just fly. But, yeah, you're dumping fuel pretty darn fast. And well, the, the faster you go past Mach 1 you know it's it's ridiculous how much you're losing the thing about the thing about super cruise uh the big the big thing about super cruise is you you can cruise at that speed above mach one without afterburner yes, it doesn't right. require yes. it doesn't require afterburner to get going there so there's the ma- right. I mean, most most modern jets require afterburner to get to mach one or greater, I, especially right? in a loaded jet some uh, yeah. uh some of the four um some of the fourth gen fighters, a lot of them, can, under very specific circumstances, can super cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I believe the F sixteen is one of them. Um, in a very clean configuration, uh, yeah. light loading, they in the right air, they can they can super cruise. But the more more modern stuff, they focus on being able to do it regularly under almost any circumstances. Okay. Sweet. So, yeah. Well. Um, there again, go if you need the technical details on like what's on it, what it can do, the power plant, all that stuff. Um, we'll have it like we will put together a web page eventually and, and a show notes section that will have all that data. Almost all of it's pulled, I think, from the wiki for the most part. Um, so you can go to the wiki on the F, uh, this F. F-16, I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> the the F-16, F-16, my mind blanked. I'm like, oh, no, which one? Um, anyway, I, no, but the, the F-16, and and look at it, because there's, there's a lot of information on what it could do and what it could carry. And the, the specs make for great reading, um, not so great talking about. <laughs> I can, no, you know, we can read awful. through it, and, it's, oh, and it, it, it gets to be really boring. So we won't do that too bad. No, uh, what you, I noticed if it, is... If it interests you, go read it. Um, what I noticed was the combat range was 300 nautical miles. The ferry range, when it when it had like drop tanks and all that stuff, was like 2,300 miles, um, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, yeah, the it, uh, fer- no ferry range is is with with all the extra fuel and it's only one way. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the rate, like, the combat radius, is how far can... you can go and still come back. Right. Yep. But why? You know, I just always know how far they can kind of yeah. go on on the. You know, most. 
in how far 2300 nautical miles is that's pretty much enough to get to the pacific coast i'm pretty yeah. sure that's about it um that's still pretty darn far it's a so long ways it's but halfway around the world it, it's also it's also magnified <clears throat> heavily these days by air to air uh in a mid-air refueling yeah that's true so it, yep um so let's get we'll call it to the main topic or let's get to that topic we we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about um yeah I, we yeah, didn't yeah. We, we we briefly chatted about it. Uh, I is part of. Oh, and that's what I didn't talk about is. Um, so let's talk about uh, like quadcopters. What we do with them. Uh, I had kind of started up a, a self daily challenge, which has fallen to the wayside. It's not really fallen to the wayside. It's just <laughs> been either raining, and I realized I have not uh, conformal coated or any kind of water protection on my quad. So I when it's raining, it's, it's the grass is wet up until ten o'clock or eleven o'clock. It's how does all get out after that? I don't even want to be outside. It's like you know, hundred degrees and sopping wet outside, hundred um, percent humidity or ninety percent. You know, feels like hundred and twenty. It's like no, I'm not gonna go hang out with my quad outside for and sweat on my porch. <laughs> like thanks, um, but you know, I but I've got you know a bunch of batteries. I I bought it on purpose to do that because what I want to do is progress from horizontal stabilized mode to flying it in acrobat mode um where i'm i can go fast i can maneuver it i i can i can track something i can go circles around it and still keep focused i want to be able to do some tricks not that i really need to do a ton but that's what i want to get to. that's my goal and yeah. i think we talked you talked about basically the exact same thing like hey i want to actually get comfortable with this thing so i could use it and not feel like and at any minute i'm gonna lose it <laughs> yeah almost yeah almost exactly it's it's uh, I, I find I've got a handful of quads myself and they're, they're all on the smaller side. Um, but, um, you know, constantly banging up props or cracking a cracking a frame or something like that, just because, you know, you get in a little over your head. It's, it's, if you're mostly used to flying fixed wing and you don't fly the quads very often, um, it's not your primary focus. They, um, mm -hmm. they quickly, uh, it's a different, it's a very different skill set. It's a very different skill set, and I was, yeah. um, I was tired of being frustrated with it. So um, <laughs> after the last round of doing some repairs with them, um, I uh, I started down the road of of really focusing on doing some sim work for the quad. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I picked up. Um, I, there's a whole bunch of them out there. The one I ended up picking up is called Liftoff, um, and I've mm -hmm. been spending, you know, the last whatever days. Um, you know, here, you know, every, every day, you know, spending 10, 15 minutes or more, um, just focusing on getting, getting the controls down and, um, and getting comfortable with, um, making the quad do what I want it to do rather than just kind of hanging on and pointing it in a direction <laughs> and, hoping. and, 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 and hoping yeah. I don't, hoping I don't hit anything. Yeah. But to, to what you're saying, I want to be able to cruise around. I want to be able to chase a fixed wing plane at my field. Yeah. Uh, I want to be able to fly around and, you know, if I've got, if I've got my goggles on, I want to be able to, you know, look around at stuff. I mean, so far, the only really thing I've used my quads for is crashing. And, uh, I did take it up and look at, uh, some damage to my roof after a storm, uh, uh, last year. And, uh, it prompted me to buy a new roof. So it was really expensive, but <laughs> <laughs> that's an expensive quad, but, but, like, but it was, uh, so it was really <laughs> expensive, but it did, it did help me realize, uh, the, the extent of the damage that I wouldn't have been able to see because it was in an area of the roof that wasn't accessible. Right. So, yeah. 
Yeah, well, and that's that's part of the thing. Like, so you know, like, what do we use a quad for as a primary plane hobbyist, right? Like, what we, you and I, tend to fly is we we build an airplane out of whatever, and we go fly it. Like, a quadcopter isn't our go-to. So then, what's the point of having a quad, right? And you you did a great job of kind of summarizing it. I would add to that just like if you're producing a video. Right. Like I'm, I'm flying a, a plane. I want to show you what it's about. Maybe I show you a quick build video. Then we go out and do a thing. Well, part of the story is, well, you want to do a setup shot, right? Well, I want to do an overhead shot of the field or I want to catch the horizon. I want to I want to catch it as it's maybe taking off from above or something like maybe just a setting shot. Well, some of the drones like the DJI, I'll call it DJI drones, but basically ones that you can put in the air, say, stay there. And it, and it stays there, you know, with a, with a gimbal or something like that. Those are great for setting up these static shots that all you need in your video is for what, like five seconds total for the whole yeah. video. <laughs> you need like yeah. five seconds worth of those shots. But like they're really helpful in establishing part of your story or whatever it is you're putting together for the shot. So they're, they're helpful for that. Um, I want to use it to be able to find my lost plane because every once in a while I lose one way out there. And I'm like, yeah. man, I'm never going to, I think I missed my line. <sighs> I should be able to see it if I could just, if I could be on top. I, I think it's probably there, but I'm eye level with the, the, the stuff that's growing. So I can't see very far without it being obstructed. But if I had a higher view, I think I'd have a chance, you know? Yeah. But I don't feel confident taking any of the things I have and flying out across the field and coming back successfully with, you know, not losing that in the drone, you know, in the field. Because then you're looking for the plane and the quad. <laughs> and the quad. And I'm never going to find the quad. I mean, I heck, I have a hard time with like an eight foot wing in the beans. I'll never find anything else, you know, like forget yeah. that. So, yeah. So, you know, looking like, well, so how do we get good enough? Like you, you did a great thing. It's just go on and grab us, grab the sim. I, I'm with you. I think liftoff is one of my favorites. It, you don't have to do the gates and the racing, but it's there. And I yeah. think the racing teaches you when you're flying, how to focus, you know, and also how to recover from quick turns and things like that. If you, or if you want to do certain tricks, like, like I want to focus on a point, I want to kind of go around it. Like they, they have a lot of obstacles that you can do that with. But they also have a couple scenes that are just like construction sites and things like that. So if you're looking to fly through one of the levels of the building and not crash in everything, right? Like you can do it, um, but you got to learn how, right? And th those yeah. simulators really give you a good chance at not destroying your quad while learning how to do that. Um, for me, for me, the racing gates, uh, doing the racing side of it. Um, gives you a real solid focus of I need to go there. Mm -hmm. So let me figure out how to make the quad go exactly where I want it to go. Whereas when you're doing the the free run stuff in, in any of the maps, um that's you're you're getting the feel for what the quad does. You you, you know, you you're you're flying it around. But yeah. if if you're coming in on something and you decide, well that looks a little iffy Maybe I'll just bail out and I'll go out this way instead, which mm -hmm. is, which is in the real life, you know, when you're flying your real quad, that's always you, a possibility or yeah. almost always. Like um, with a, like with a full scale flying, like you always want to know where your out is. 
Like if right. something goes wrong, where am I going to go? You right. should always so, have that in your mind. Right? But with the, the quad, you kind of want to go. Oh, this is going south. I got to get out of here. <laughs> and and the racing on the racing side, uh, when you're doing the racing part, that forces you to learn how to make even if it's a bad line that forces you to figure out how to get there and how to make it mm. um which uh you know okay it's one thing for if you're professionally racing the quads it's a different thing but yeah. for someone who's just going to go out and do the free run or, or go fly wherever they want um i think it builds a builds a level of skill of making the quad do exactly what you want it to do that opens up your world of uh, it's not you know, I'm not just stuck doing the easy thing, but I can, I can go mm -hmm. fly between. If I want to go look down there, I can go fly between those trees because I know how to make it do the thing right. that I get, want it get what, that I want it to do. Rather than go, oh, that's gonna be that's gonna be too hard. I don't want to. I don't want to risk <laughs> yeah. it. You, it. It gives you it gives you a higher level of confidence. Yeah, and you you have better control of the quad. Uh, and that was what I've actually come to. You know, I've probably flown. Sadly, it's been about a week, and I've probably flown uh, maybe eight days and i think i've flown four of them um it's sadly I, I wanted to do more but and i'll keep i'll keep at it you know i've got like uh eight batteries so that's where you know you, you have eight batteries you just blow through eight batteries well that's it's like boom. um that's a good hour hour and a half of flying and that's part of why i bought that many batteries is because i i what i notice is when i when I pick up a like th a three pack or whatever, well, that's enough to get comfortable, mm -hmm. and then you have to wait and go back inside, and and go charge your batteries, and then two hours later, and if you're like me, you squirreled and did something else, and then you go, oh right, I wanted to fly the quads again, and then you pull out the three batteries, and you're like, oh cool, I'm gonna get to this, and then you just get comfortable again, and maybe you're on that last battery when you're actually doing something and you're comfortable with the quad again, you know, one of the things that is, I mean, the first piece is you know, learning throttle control, but it's, if you don't understand how going in the different modes, like horizon mode is really just like, it's going to stay put more or less, unless you tell it to go some other way, not entirely, but, but pretty close. Um, yeah. but when you start getting the acrobat, still mode, have you, to tilt, fly it. you still have to fly it. Like you still have to, cause it will run into stuff. It'll drift around, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not a DJI, so it's not like it's just going to say, you say, go here, and it goes, okay, and it'll just stay there. Like, no, this is, it'll it'll drift, but it'll generally stay relatively close to what you want. You're still controlling the throttle, so you still control altitude. You still have to be on that, um, but it's easy to kind of keep uh, after a while. But that that's, that's a skill right there. Like, I'm flying along. I have a hard time getting too close to the grass. I'm probably at about eight feet is where I'm flying. Sometimes about five, maybe mm -hmm. three, if I'm getting a little iffy, because what happens is when the throttle dips a bit, it comes down and now I'm right at the grass level and I'm trying to recover still, you know, and I'm, I'm still trying to work that. And that's if, and the way my quad is set up is I can, it's not big enough or powerful enough to be able to flip over on its own and fly out of the grass. Like it's mm -hmm. not a five inch quad where it's sitting above the grass. It's in the mm -hmm. grass. So mine kind of just gets stuck. So I, I really have to be conscious of, hey, don't get in the grass because that'll be the end of that'll be the end of your battery for a little bit, and you might you're lose done. a you probably lose a prop <laughs> too. You know, it'll come off in the grass somewhere, and you'll be like, oh shoot, I'll never find this now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean that's and that was the thing is I, I I got to the point where I was flying acro, 
And I was flying around my house and doing circuits and being comfortable because I, I did it with the other. And I realized after about like by the second day, I'm like, I'm learning some bad habits if I keep this up. Because the, the neat thing about acro is like when you tilt forward, you just leave it there. Yeah. It'll stay there. You have to tilt it back to, to ease up. So what happens is you kind of set it tilted forward for the speed, the forward speed you want. And then you're just kind of driving it around. And you don't have to worry about keeping it held forward to keep going forward and all that. You know, you sort of let it cruise, yeah. Um, which is nice. I mean, that that's. Um, I'm. It's nice to kind of feel comfortable. And I missed. I had one one where I flew right through that little drain loop, the loop between the the eave and the the gutter. Oh, yeah, nice. I, I wasn't intending to go quite there. I was I was planning on cutting the gutter edge like really good, and I got a little too high. And I was like, "Oh no!" And I'm like, "I was like, I think I'm gonna go." Or like, "No!" And I I was looking through the loop, and I went right through it. I'm like, "I'm never gonna do that again." And I didn't record it, <laughs> but it was a good run. It was like the the last acro run of the day, and it was the nice. last battery, and it was just a good flight. I was like, "Nice." nice. Um, I'm still trying to get through a whole battery without hitting the grass, you know. But uh, I got to get back to it. I also went, um, I tested the range. You know that little that little flyway with the little tiny ceramic antenna from the ELRS? Uh, the Firefly? It, yeah, of the yeah. Firefly 1S thing. It goes to a half a mile out on the other side of my neighborhood. Oh, wow. Which isn't easy because the houses are made of lead and every house is pumping out Wi-Fi signal, right? <laughs> so and i got all the way like i got to a certain point and all of a sudden the the, the signal went from like 50 percent to known <laughs> i'm like oh uh, no it cut out i was like darn it um ended up recovering it but it was fun um i just wanted to see like you know where what i notice is if i've got clear line of sight between the buildings i can fly out that general direction um but when i start getting behind a house like the signal cuts significantly makes sense i mean right and it makes perfect sense and of course i'm in the middle of a neighborhood so that just means i need to go at a pretty high angle if i'm gonna fly out unless i've got a weave between the buildings so um but it was fun to kind of fly around the neighborhood a little bit and then bring it back um and i don't know if you're that's something you're looking to kind of do with what you you know where you want to go with your Um, little four inch yeah, we've got a we've got a field behind my house that i'll that i'll fly through once in a while i haven't done it back there much lately um, I have to be real careful uh, because I live in the shadow of a major metro airport. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and so um, well, I don't. Have want, you thought I about flying out, uh, like driving out somewhere where you can fly a little bit? And that's more and that's usually and that's usually what I do. I <clears> drive <throat> out to our local field, um, the where where our club flies at, and uh, and we we fly out there a little bit. Um, but that's just a plain open field, and so there's not a lot of interesting stuff out there to see unless I get yeah. out over the trees or anything like that. Right, or you're trying to go in between the rows, which good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> with, with uh, the most, skill level you and I are at, I think right now that's that's my, really not, a, not, not a good idea. No, so I, I'm a little I'm a little careful with it. I mean, I, I my my quads are all even my my largest one is still under 250 grams mm-hmm. if I have yeah. the right right stuff. So um, I'm not too worried about it. I just can't go too high uh right. it can't go over 200 feet where we're where we're at so okay um, yeah no. without without getting you know potentially someone complaining yeah um, you're not yeah so that means that just means most of the quad flying that you're probably going to do on your own you'll be fine because you're you're doing low to the ground oh, yeah. maneuvering yeah. stuff and not like hey let me get an aerial shot of all this stuff well as um, you 
as you build as you build the skill right then you then you come lower and get more comfortable getting closer <laughs> to things early on i was wanting to fly it up higher so i you know three mistakes high kind of thing that right. i learned from the fixed wing stuff but right. you you touched on you touched on throttle control earlier and the further mm-hmm. the further i get with this it's it's like uh the the classic the more you the more you learn the more you realize how much you don't know and so <laughs> yeah. the more the the better i get with my throttle control the more i learn how much more there is to know about mm-hmm. it and i feel i feel like the throttle control is clearly one of those areas of uh with with quad flying uh you know with the acrobatic quad quads um mm-hmm. that's one of those areas that you'll never you'll never stop learning on uh, on no. the throttle control I, I feel like that's just the the area that you can constantly continue to do you know, any anybody who does long-range shooting which is another hobby of mine the mm-hmm. uh the uh wind calls is the same thing um you know you can do all the math for the bullet drop and you can get all your data and know what the bullet's going to do vertically but horizontally with the wind figuring out wind calls uh and what what's going to get pushed left or right right uh, how much and you know the further out you go the harder it gets and uh, right. and i feel like that's it's the same it's con- contextually it's the same as the, the throttle control where it's just no matter what it's going to you're never going to be perfect at it you there's always more to learn uh, yeah. And, yeah. and there's always there's always room to get better no matter no matter how far along you get even the you know, even the best guys in the world at it, they, they'll probably tell you. I, I I suspect they would tell you that it's still you still need to, to dial in that throttle control every you know yeah. get it better every single time. Have you found that um, I'll call it the the quad guys right? Like uh, jo- I go to Josh Bardwell's channel a lot because he he teaches a yeah. lot about what's going on with them and what's going yeah. wrong with them and how to fix that stuff and understand what's happening because there's a lot more than seems on the surface. So it's always helpful. I always go there, but you're going to places like Rotor Riot or any, any of the individual guys and watching the, the racers do the DRL racing and all that stuff and drone racing. And that's what DRL is. Um, just watching them do their thing. And they make it look, obviously it's easy and effortless because they've, they've mastered the, the throttle management skill and thing like to a degree, but you can every once in a while, they'll have one where they're showing their stick movement. And it's tough because I want to watch how they're flying, but then I want to watch their sticks and it's never quite, there you, go. you know, and switch like, oh, back and on. forth. Let me go back and we, yeah. but, but watching, you can see like, they're like, they have a general thing and then they occasionally blip. And the, the, and again, where they go full throttle and bring it back down for like, not even a split second, but that's to be like, Oh, I'm almost hitting the ground. I better, better level it back out again. Or, or I want to do a maneuver or, or something. You know, like, Oh, okay. That's how to do those things. So if you are growing and you want to understand how do they keep, how do they keep that quad so level, right? It seems like you keep the throttle. Like, no, you don't keep the throttle. It's almost like 3D aerobatic flying where you're more blipping the throttle, where you're, you're almost pulsing it rather than yeah. doing one constant. Like, you can do it, but it's almost easier to control when you're doing doing an up and down, like a like occasional pulse. Because the, yeah. the pulse gets it kind of up and it, it almost like floats it. it. It almost like hops it in the air. Yeah. And I think it depends on the type of flying you're doing, right? If you're doing the yeah. the free the freestyle stuff, I think that's definitely there. Um yeah. I and I, I the the aesthetic of a power loop just gets me every time. I just love that 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 quick blip up and then the rollover yeah. and then the straight down. You'll see people okay. diving diving down uh, you know, structures and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that that aesthetic of coming up real fast and then 
you know, rolling over and coming back down just gets me every single time. It's awesome. I was kind of uh, like the one where they come up uh, on a building and then they, they, they basically come around like uh, on, uh, basically go in a loop and then they flatten out against the building. They kind of roll it. So it kind of like almost hits, hits the building. Mm-hmm. They flip it just, just as they're about to hit it. And then they just slide down the building. And of course, the and they're like, now keep in mind, you know, the cameras at whatever degree. So your quad is actually not at, you know, it's not facing down. It's actually this way. So when you blip your throttle, you're actually trying to do this, you know, like pull it away at an angle. So you got to be more careful. Like, oh yeah. You know I mean? You, you yeah. got to think in a different kind of fashion. And I know it's one of those things, just like some of the plane flying, when you become familiar and comfortable with plane flying, a lot of the things that were really difficult and you had to think hard about, and it's like anything, it becomes like, oh, I don't have to think about it. My brain just does it because I'm yep. there. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm already kind of, some of it you have to. Like you, but it, they're always like, yeah, when you're thinking of a new trick and you're trying to plan out a new thing you want to do, how do I get this visually? Because it's really helpful to grab your quad <laughs> and point your camera in the way you want the shot to go and watch the quad move and understand, oh, if I'm going to do this, I actually have to, it's not a straight rotate. It's a rotate and tilt forward or tilt back. And it's like all that kind of maneuver. It's like, okay, cool. That's, that kind of helps more understand like when you're coming around a bend, you know, when you're turning, it's not just let me yaw left, right? Like I, I don't come around the bend of a house and turn to the left. I turn to the left. I roll to the left a bit. I pull up on the throttle. I, I, I rotate forward a little, or, you know, I rotate back a little bit as I, you know, like I'm kind of sliding around the turn almost like as a, as a toboggan bank, you know, think yeah. of, think of more of a, to, uh, with bobsled people, you know, like yeah. I got to do this like a bobsled. <laughs> so how am I going to set my quad blades up so that I can, I can bobsled it well. A, a bobsled without the track. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No track. The, the track is whatever you make it. Right. Um, and that, and that, and that, that's one of the things that still gets me is maintaining, maintaining the same altitude coming through a turn like that. Cause I always end up keeping the, like, uh, with throttle control, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep the throttle up. So as, as the quad comes back, as it, as it tips back a little bit, you, you, you have up. more thrust going upward. So I, every time I'll climb, you know, just like everybody else, of course. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, so that's something I'm, I'm, I'm working on currently is trying to, trying to maintain a, a, a consistent altitude while coming in and out of maneuvers uh yeah to balance yeah. to you know to get that throttle control dialed in yeah if you're following i guess if you're in the simulator you're probably doing more like the gate following stuff where it's going to be a left and a right and a left and a up and a down you know what i mean whereas yeah. when i'm for me my circuit is because i'm outside and it's real life and i don't have i don't have too many holes to to fly through uh, the ones I have are really kind of dangerous to get to at my skill level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I imagine like going over the car and un- in through the porch and out, you know, the next next column line, like that'll probably come maybe. Yeah. But right now that's way past my skill range, right? Like I'll be lucky if I'm zooming yeah. around the house and doing a loop and not getting caught on something, right? So like, okay, so we're doing a circuit and not doing a loop. But um, as I'm coming around, like I, I always do, like I'm going one way and it's like a racetrack. So I'm going just left, left, left. Like I get really good at left. And then I go, Oh shoot, I have to turn right. Like, huh, shoot, how do I do NASCAR. that? It's not NASCAR. Right. So yeah. I've always incorporated in each one of my loops, like, Hey, you're going to go left around the house. Like you're going to do a clockwise circuit, but 
when you get to the tree in the front yard, you're going to rotate around it to the right. And then eventually I'm going to turn that into, you're going to do, I don't know what it's called, like a... Just to um, figure it. Right. Yeah. One well, loop around the house and one loop around the tree. One loop around the tree the other way. Yeah. So I can yeah. so I can get used to doing the other way too. But part of that is eventually I'm going to have it so that the camera is always facing the tree as I come around it. So I can get yeah. used to that kind of shot because that's the kind of shot I want to be able to pull off with an airplane. So if I'm checking tra- an airplane that I, you know, somebody's flying and I want to kind of show off what they've done, I want to come around the front of that plane. It'll be a little bit different, but if I can rotate around it and still keep the camera kind of centered, yeah. you know, that that will be, I think, the kind of shot that I'm aiming for. So for in sure. my mind, as I learn, I'm trying to think, well, what what maneuvers do I want to learn that I think will be helpful in the missions I want these quads to go fly? Like I'll probably yeah. end up having a bigger quad, but I find and it, what I and I think this is where the reviews were dead on. Like I've flown five inch quads and and I'm not well, but well enough to understand how they fly right and then you know simming and the different you can pick different size and stuff this little i mean it's a 1s this thing these blades aren't any bigger than the ones that are on the the easy packs like they're (laughs) they're not bigger in diameter they're just spinning faster this thing flies i feel very outdoors it flies as well in the wind as any five inch quad i was flying so Very cool. I'm I'm really impressed. Again, for for the size, most of the time when they're that size, they they can't handle the wind. Like they're just like they're gonna get blown around. And it does every once in a like in a stiff breeze, it, you can feel it. But I, I, what I so what I appreciate about it is it's small, it's compact, it's easy to to bring around. But I I'm I feel like what I'm learning there is translatable to a larger quad. Though it may have more mass, it'll also have more power. So I think it'll fly about the same. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see. So that way when, when I'm bringing a five-inch quad out to, to film, you know, a, a new plane coming around, like I feel like that'll actually be, you know, like Joe doing his plane or something like that. Yeah. Well, come on up and film C-Deck All Orange 2.1. <sighs> Man. <laughs> Why you got to tempt me like that? It's only like a 10-hour drive, right? <laughs> ah, no, it's not, not, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's nice. Well, um, yeah. and that's the other thing is, are you aiming to keep it under 20, 250 grams? Or are you looking to do like, um, you know, I'm going to have a small one for, for one kind of thing. Do I, do you want to get into the bigger quads or? So for now, eventually I probably will. Uh, for now I'm trying to keep it under two, 250 just for the reason of keeping it around the house and not having any, uh, additional headaches with, uh, regulations. Right. Uh, especially given the fact that I live so close to a, a major yeah, airport. No, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's probably, I, I did it also because if I do end up hitting something by accident, cause you know, I'm in a There's neighborhood that. like, you know, I'm not going to do any serious damage. I'm going to be like, Oh geez, I'm really sorry. Let me yeah, buff that, that out for you. <laughs> you and, and, I, and I did, I, I, I did pick up a tiny whoop just to fly around the house too. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll run I'll run laps around the inside of our house with the tiny whip sometimes too. Yeah, I ended up buying that. Go the ahead. dog hates it. The dog hates it. Of course it does. Yeah. Dog what was that angry? Was that angry little bee? Stop it. <laughs> All right. Nice. Uh, anything you want to add to that whole? Anything I forgot we we wanted to talk about and. Um. No. No. I will. I. You mentioned Bardwell. I. I Bardwell's kind of my go-to. 
uh, for yeah. Joshua Bardwell for for quad stuff. Um, I I just like his approach, uh, the way he does his his channel. Uh, enjoy yeah. watching his stuff, even just in general, it's uh, nice. it's fun to watch. And uh, yeah. <laughs> liftoff has a level that's the his space house. around his house. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, which just, is funny. Uh, and I was like, so what's cool is you can watch his videos, and then try to reproduce what he's done while yeah. he's flying yeah. around, and you're like. Man, that's harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and uh, you mentioned uh, one other thing. Um, I, I'll say that in The Sims, I'm finding I'm doing a mix, uh, probably a sixty forty mix of just free flight around stuff and just trying to follow paths in mm -hmm. in free flight versus trying to follow some of the gates and the racing stuff. Uh, okay. I find yeah. I find I I can't do too much of the racing stuff because of. Uh, my own competitive nature that I, I just, I'm trying to beat the, beat the other <laughs> quads in the race right. rather, rather than learn. So I do, I do it a little bit, but I do, I definitely do more for free flight, even though I think there's definitely some value in doing, doing the, the actual racing side of it. Well, I, um, I think like when we, when we both, you and I have both been a flight best and put our stuff in combats, what you find is, is if you're in combat and you're trying to do a thing, you focus on it harder. I don't know. You, you, there's a certain competitive nature that comes out that makes you push yourself mm -hmm. further than you would if you didn't have to deal with that, right? Yeah. Like, there's certain things I wouldn't have done with my Spitfire. <laughs> I wouldn't have tried. Like, I'm going to do this, and it's like S maneuver. All of a sudden, I'm practically hammerhead stalling it in midair, trying hey, to turn 180 quick. Yeah. Like, oh, this is that maneuver they talk about in the combat. Like, holy God, I just did that. Um, but yeah, like I would never, do, I wouldn't do that in the field and flying a lazy circuit around the, the field or like, oh, well, there's, what else am I, why, what else am I here for? You know, yeah. at some point I'm going to get to the point, I think, other than testing new planes is going to be like, if I'm not there with somebody to do pseudo dog fights and other challenges that we might have, I I might find part of this hobby kind of being a little boring. Like, I don't know that I want to just bring the treadle true and do circuits around a field other than I like flying, but at some point I feel like that's going to start getting old and boring. I, I, I will say, I will say that it, if I'm not like, if there's not other people flying around me, if I'm just the, the only one in the air, even with fixed wing, um, mm -hmm. I, I fly incredibly recklessly. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, yeah, I don't want to point otherwise, right? For the most, for the most part, I, I don't yeah. want to be, I don't want to be precious about my planes. I want to be, um, uh, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta stay entertaining for me. And part of that is pushing them to the limit. That's why I yeah. like the flight test stuff because the, you know, the, the price of, of a failure in a maneuver is a couple sheets of foam board. Right. Um, in the, in the well, afternoon. One of the one of the things I love about the Sea Duck, and especially this uh, two, you know, version two um, uh, of my Sea Duck All Orange with the bit the bigger motors, is uh, the flat spin. Flat oh spins, yeah, flat spins <laughs> crack me up every time. Yeah, I just and and this one with these, you know, with more thrust at on tap, these uh, this thing will flat spin even even greater. And I'll and I'll put some video up of the of the flat spin the flat spin in the on the maiden flight of the the duck okay uh, yeah of, uh, of duck 2.0 it was 2.0 now it's 2.1 after getting damaged <laughs> yeah well i'm looking forward to seeing that then um please put it up 
Uh, well, I gotta, well, I gotta learn how to edit it first. It's weird. I, okay, uh, I I believe it. <laughs> I've got um. So we'll have a link to. I've got a link uh to your duck all orange uh the Friday night combat. Cool. Uh, so I'll have a link there. Uh, while you're there, uh, look out for that new video that Brian will be putting up eventually. Um, check the we'll Discord. I I I'll point. I'll post when it when it's available. I will post a link in the Discord. Okay, good. Uh, we'll make sure to uh, highlight that. Although, if you're putting it in the general stuff, it'll probably get lost awful quick because we have so much uh, activity in there some days, it's and true. which is which is wonderful. So if you haven't, I'm going to start. If you don't mind, uh, Brian, it's just if this is about uh, if we've covered everything, I'm going to start going through the end of this. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good place to stop. Okay, good. Um, hey, if you haven't, uh, you can join Brian and I and Joe. Uh, and all the other listeners who've joined up, as well as uh, the other yahoos who love this hobby and have enjoyed uh, being part of this stuff and either being part of the build or listening to the podcast or, or they just heard it from a friend, um, join us on our Discord. Uh, we'll put a link in the doobly-doo. Um, <clears throat> you can also, if you have a question or a comment or you want to write up a history and join us on a podcast, if you want to join us, you could record it at home and send it to us or, or just you know, send your favorite plane information over to us to, to possibly cover. You can reach Joe at Joe at aviationrcnoob.com or you reach me at Matthew at aviationrcnoob.com or you can send it to both of us. And I always think that's the best way. Then we both see it and we have a, both a chance of looking at it. Um, is Matt, uh, aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. <clears throat> um, let's see. We have a website at uh, aviationrcnoob.com. I think we cover that let's see i want to thank all of our patrons who help keep the lights on i want to thank all of our listeners who've been trudging through uh 82 hour episodes so i appreciate your your uh, diligence and uh, you keep with us and i'm really excited remember we're still working on all the ridiculous projects that we've been doing um which is you know we we have a whole channel dedicated to what are we going to do for next year's flight fest uh flight fest next year is the 10th anniversary um i feel like i joe and i both feel i think that we owe flight fest the they are one of the big reasons why we've had a chance at even enjoying this hobby um because we would never even thought to get in if it weren't for how approachable they make it um so we that's usually kind of why we highlight their stuff so flight fest next year we're going to be doing some sort of ridiculous big build probably um, I think during this year, I'm going to rebuild um, our giant noob wonder so that we have one of those at Flight Fest next year just because we want to have it flying around because we love it. But we also want to have a fun big build. There's been a lot of different ideas. Another, another, <laughs> uh, one of the ideas that's been floated again, we're going to start putting together a poll uh, probably in the next couple episodes here and we'll, we'll have it going for a little bit because we want, we want some good feedback from you. Uh, one of the ideas is uh, dinosaurs. <laughs> Just everybody make dinosaurs that fly, and I and I had a picture of a T Rex with wings, um, which I thought would be pretty fun. I'm like, well, might be a little limited, but I, I you know, there's some ideas out there. Um, we could maybe have a bunch of plesiosauruses and Loch Ness monsters that fly. I want to <laughs> see somebody pull off a flying stegosaurus. <laughs> Like that. I would be imp- I'd be impressed. I'd That's be impressed. it. Right? That's what I'm thinking too. Um, 
And another idea that somebody had come out with, and I don't think we talked about, was maybe I build a giant sea duck, like a 400% sea duck or some ridiculous junk. And then everybody puts uh, builds an AP sea duck, uh, Air Pirates uh, Quack. It's like a single-engine little boat boat plane. And you put it on a tow strip, and we tow all y'all up. <laughs> as a big duck and all its little ducklings, <laughs> all its quacks, and we all run up. And I, geez, I hope everybody paints theirs very differently because it's going to be a hot mess when I release that tow rope. <laughs> that was one of the other ideas that I thought was pretty funny. Because um, <laughs> we were like, oh, it would be cool to have a big plane, and then, you know, that big plane tows up a bunch of us. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that would be pretty ridiculous. It's a and long I'm like, tow rope. Yeah, and everybody's like, "Ah, oh, the sea duck," because we we're talking about the sea duck. And uh, yeah, I, and I'm I'm about it because look, the sea duck is a great plane, so having a giant one around isn't a bad idea. But then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what would you tow behind it?" And I'm like, "Oh, I know, the quack, the AP quack. It's it's adorable. It's a you know single engine high uh, little boat plane. <laughs> that's and then and then you got to open the, the after you release everybody, then you got to open the door on the." back of the sea duck and dump out a bunch of rubber duckies all over the uh, the runway with parachutes with parachutes yeah, yeah of course or yeah. not depending on the mood you're mean, in whoa 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 what do you mean or not <laughs> there's no or not they bounce yeah yeah well, well I was, that was the other thing is that we, at that point we probably uh lightweight pla print um oh, a bunch yeah, of probably. hollow hollow sea ducks and then put put a bunch of parachutes <laughs> uh, look it, all these ideas are flying around so we got that we got those two there, we've got like under the sea theme, which is uh, all sorts of fishy stuff. Um, jellyfish. I, I like that one. I do like yeah, that one. Yeah, it's flying turtle, uh, all sorts of shark, that kind of manta manta rays. I think manta rays. Yeah, manta rays. All that. So all of those variety, and of course we would, as part of the any of these are there is a community component where everybody basically has like builds a variant of this community plane and everybody brings that. And then we all fly in one big kind of mess or we hand, hand it up to combat or, or we all string it together and the big plane takes all the little planes up into combat and releases, the, releases the hounds, you know? Um, and then of course I've got the idea of the disc shooter plane where everybody has a disc in the disc shooter plane. And I start releasing planes one out of the next after it gets up in combat. And we just start releasing a horde of these little disc flying craft so that could work uh, my thought is they would be like if we made it in the stem size we could have the stem tents building them and the kids putting their little stem things and they just put it in the chute in the top and then they're like yeah. hey go go and then they get to fly in combat and see how it holds up just ideas these are all the ideas we have rolling around there's a lot more to come i'm if you've got any send them we want to hear it the hardest part will be picking one that, that really because they're because they're all so good. I know. I, well, I have, have great potential. I have a feeling whatever one we pick, I'm probably going to have one of those other ones is going to be my little personal pet project that I do anyway. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Nice. But uh, yeah, no, I think Brian, thank you so much for joining me today and joining. You know, I know Joe couldn't really be here, for, but for a little bit. Um, so I appreciate you could kind of. Uh, fill in for Joe's role while he was uh, unavailable and honestly doing a great job with the history. Uh, once again, I appreciate it so much. I, I have fun with the history. I, I, I don't fill in for Joe so well. So 
So I, I like it when Joe, when all three of us are here. So y yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully glad we'll do some to... more. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I hope so too. He, I, I, I'm glad he was able to come on for a little bit and kind of yes, tell us for you know, sure. what he was up to. Um, all right. Well, I think that's about it. We're going to wrap it up and let you guys go on with the rest of your day. So thanks so much. Bye. Bye, everybody. I just realized I'm going to have to intro and close it out. Yikes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause you know, that's too complicated for me. <laughs> All right. Eventually there's a stop button. I don't know where that could is. And there we go. That's stop the recording. We'll stop Craig. Now should I stop audacity? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the recording though.